It was a chill October day. The twin geeks Gumshoes, Calvin and David, retreated to their chambers upon viewing the whole body of work by Robert Altman. They're through with this work, and it has come out all right. It's washed out of them now, like all that trash of the rain-slick streets, now circling the gutters of their outlying twin burrows. One thing is for sure, you cannot come home to the prairie again. That's just how the cookie crumbles. To say goodbye is to die, they say. So how's about we take one more round with Altman, say the twins. Yeah, how's about that, they go, all motivated and ready to reach back into the abyss. All that separates the twins from completing their sleuthing session are the last five films Altman made. Unknowable to the internet, they will have to find something deeper in themselves to uncover these lost artifacts. What happened to the director? Where has he gone? Has the world settled into amnesia about his final phase of work? It's time to part through the fog and find salvation. The Twin Geeks are here to solve a case few mortal men have ever ventured. They've known some pretty hard cases in their time, but this one may take everything they have left. Brilliant. Welcome back to the Twin Geeks. <laughs> That's great. I hope you put some like some jazz and rain effects under that for, for proper effects. <laughs> Need a music bed, people rubbing shoes together to uh, uh, get our uh, our uh, footsteps with uh, some gun, gum sounds, like uh, <laughs> gum shoes lifting off the pavement. <laughs> Um, isn't isn't the whole uh, point of the gum shoe like the label is that they were they dampened sound so that you couldn't hear them sneaking <laughs> so wouldn't that's right. wouldn't the yeah. gum shoe sound we've already got that it's it's the absence of sound yeah uh, if you couldn't hear it there the absence of sound was us gum shoeing in the background uh, yeah. through this uh, last phase of Altman um, which uh, we've done uh, everything and and uh, and now it's all in this this has been in place this has been our most ambitious project even more than the bogdanovich series which was maybe like 10 films shorter um although that, that did take <laughs> yeah. a, a big aspect of d- digging even deeper than anyone had ever been willing to go uh more people have seen the films the entire films of robert altman but man 35 is a is a lot of movies still that's a lot of numbers uh we've been doing this since july <laughs> There wasn't anything here that was unfindable. I think. I think uh, we, if you the, want to watch one of these, you could you could find a way. The closest you, was was Health, which is right. is not released in any like official capacity. You got to find a bootleg of it. That and it's just on YouTube, but like zoomed in too much. Uh, so it it's somewhere if you if yeah. you want a rough copy of that. But it's possible that uh, it may not be available in in the future. I guess is the thing like. Right. You know, that, that maybe someone will, whoever owns the rights to Robert Altman's health, will will file a claim and have it taken off of YouTube. Yeah, they'll want to uh, restore health for the Criterion <laughs> Collection. Um, uh, what do we have? What's uh, what's first on our uh, last list? Well, uh, what's what's first this week of the the final five films of Robert Altman uh, is Cookie's Fortune from nineteen ninety nine. Still in the '90s, surprisingly. Um, a very popular film. Yeah, uh, yeah. Undisputed y- on the internet. You know what? Uh, what I've really enjoyed about this series so far, Calvin, is that we've gone thirty films 
with with little contention between our our takes here, we've been pretty much agreeable on the same place. Even when we don't agree with the consensus on Altman films, like with with Mash. <laughs> yeah, we've matched up pretty well. Yeah, like like uh, generally speaking, you know, uh, we, we've got an understanding of each other. Even when there's like slight differences, you know, we see where the other one's coming from a bit more. Um, or if one of us is more enthusiastic than the other, we're still at least on the same understanding there. there there's not been a fundamental disagreement so far, I don't think. This one will be interesting because it will be like we're speaking different languages, <laughs> or at least uh, vernacular. Vernacular. You'll be speaking in your uh, southern dialect, and I'll be looking at it as from an, uh, a northerner with their, you know, their thumb to their nose, just like yeah, yeah, I don't know uh, what this is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I guess for those who don't know, Cookie's Fortune is a comedy question mark um, about uh, a a murder that happens or, or supposed murder it's actually a, a very overt suicide that is shown to us um of an elderly citizen of a small southern town and uh the the kind of hijinks that then take place in the aftermath and the confusion over who may have killed this person uh the titular cookie and uh robert altman of course uh midwestern director though you can uh you can maybe debate we, if we, uh, Kansas City is a metropolis of the South. You could maybe say that we, if you're so inclined, right on the uh, border there. We did have a discussion recently Kansas. in the Twin Geeks Discord, didn't we, about the, the the geography of the United States and the delineation of what is considered the South and the Midwest and the East and the the West. It's it's not as intuitive as you would think. A lot of the middle of the country is still considered the South and parts of the upper middle are considered the west even though it's 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 literally more east of the center than it is west <laughs> yeah I, I i think he's an appropriate filmmaker to t- tackle this uh subject slash setting in particular we've seen it in, in other entries uh, particularly in the last episode with like kansas city where he's got his roots in in the area you can kind of speak to the nature of of the the population here but um okay so uh, i think we agree on like the southern premise of cookie's fortune i think uh setting wise i think we understand uh where he's coming from what it's establishing uh that it's kind of accurate and sense of place it's got uh I th- what i think is one of its strengths is its small town setting i think it gets the sense of a very interconnected and familiar community of individuals with with a certain kind of moral identity as well um and and in which uh everyone kind of knows each other so when a big controversial event such as a murder or even a potential suicide in this case happens it becomes the central focus of everything you know and, and particularly as all of the people know one another in in this uh setting and are very familiar with the victim as well so yeah, I, I think that is one of the strong suits of it. And again, another continual point in Altman's uh, consideration and fixation on communities as the kind of central point of all of his films. I think that's one of the uh, continual threads that he continues to investigate. Some of the uh, ensemble work is fine. I think uh, most of it for me is overacted. Just uh, um, I think uh, Charles Dutton... Willis Richland is probably the best performer here and, and gets the best case scenario for his script. I I think this is a 
where we'll come in. I, I do think Charles Dutton comes out as uh, one of the more sympathetic, you know, characters here, and I like him a lot. He's he's an endearing person, and also the uh, I I think that the film gets it right in terms of the the characterization towards what happens to him as as one of the uh, few black members of the cast. He's obviously uh, and and also is a person who is familiar with the 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 deceased then who's played by. Patricia Neal, uh, another yeah. old Hollywood favorite of mine. Well, the um, other black characters are kept in bars, and he's kept behind bars. Is kind of like the the ethics <laughs> of the film here. That's an interest. That's a, a humorous way of putting it. That I don't know if it was intentional, but I doubt it. it. The, 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 that, that does seem rather rather punny and and like idea. Like I'm, I'm surprised nobody said that or something. It's worth that, that would have gotten great in review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, he he gets uh, pegged as the potential um, murderer, as, as they assume is the case. After because it, it's very clearly a suicide and is shown to us there. Uh, Patricia Neal character just kind of reached the end of her life, has been satisfied with it and wants to be reunited with her husband who's been deceased for mm-hmm. some time. And so she takes one of the the, the pistols from his uh, collection in a cabinet downstairs and uh, uh, ends herself with it. Um, but then when her daughters come to investigate um, uh, Glenn Close and Julianne Moore, <laughs> Glenn, Glenn Close, who is uh, horrified by it and feels as though, um, you know, su- such disrepute could never fall upon their family and they must have known, she entirely messes with the, the scene there and makes it look like a burglary and a murder t- takes place instead. And so I as think Glenn Close caretaker, is maybe the only like woman performer who like outdoes whatever altman's doing like in his film like uh, i think she goes far beyond the material i i think she's really wonderful in it in a, again in a very heinous kind of way in a way that glenn close is really good at doing and being a very over-the-top kind of histrionic performer in a way that's suited to the material i don't think that she's overacting by any means i think she's very much in tune with what the character is asking for here because it is supposed to be kind of cartoonishly you know, uh, manipulative and self-centered as and some of the other Roger Ebert are. not able to tell us she's a villain. Um. Yeah, that was funny. You, you pointed out in the review there that, oh, there's no real villains in the film. I'm like, no, no, the woman who, you know, framed the black guy for murder is definitely a villain and self-centered which, and terrible. <laughs> which I think brings just that we have different readings of what the film's exactly doing with its characters. For me, the uh, white people absolving themselves over, you know, them showing up and seeing, oh, this black guy's jailed, but, you know, maybe his innocence and trying to find, like, some peace in themselves about that, uh, rather than, like, ever examining, like, what their privilege could be or why they aren't even of the accused in this situation when they're equally as guilty. I think they, uh, uh, I think it's a little bit messy. Um, I oh, I think the film is aware of the, um, the, the racial element of it there and is obviously you know, in conversation with it, but not targeting the character because of that specifically. You know, there there is credible evidence for the the police to go after him to an extent as, you know, a person with fingerprints on the scene and the last person to be involved with the deceased in this case. And so if they are to assume it's murder, which is staged to appear to be, then that is the, the logical conclusion for them to immediately draw in any case. And again, it's, it's not that the film allows the white characters to get away with this. It very... Uh, overtly punishes them and, and absolves, you know, the, the accused man by, by the end of it here. And the people who are very obviously um, a part of the community, you know, uh, the positive part of the community and are uh, um, 
against the the more self-centered and you know uh framing characters of the film like Liv tyler you know as an example is the the, the kind of scorned daughter who's come back but is on the side of willis and even stays with him in his you know cell to to, to keep him company you know and you can also see that the the small town itself is also very lacks in its enforcement of some of this here yeah. he's in he's in the jail cell but they keep the door open you know yeah and and he's playing <laughs> cards playing with scrabble other and yeah and cards. yeah and so it's it's those elements that i find really endearing and charming about it is that there's this this kind of glib humor to um you know a lot of the interactions and everything and it's and it knows the story knows who's a bad person and who isn't and and i think as a highlight of rural communities, it does a really great job of exemplifying the the strengths and the you know the coming together that those often have, which are often overlooked in favor of these more you know uh, met- metropolitan ideas about a kind of you know racist backwards southern community you know rural folks who are uneducated and you know accusatory and you know just mean-spirited towards everyone when very often they smaller communities are exemplars of you know uh, people coming together and supporting one another and you know sticking through things and and, and working as, as a collective in many ways they do what the cities say they want to do in a in a more uh, practical you know showable way than a yeah um existing in a city wanting communion uh, with other people you don't quite get uh, and and but, i think in uh, like altman's other great films this is an example of showing both sides of those things that 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 both of those ideas about such communities can be true you know that it's not one way or the other our preconceptions uh or experiences don't paint them as singular I think that's the only part that I really got onto is I, yeah, I like the setting and the sense of small town community. And then, uh, uh it, it doesn't make me laugh. I, I don't feel like it's a particularly funny movie. I think I, it's one of those like comedies where it's like, Oh, that's like a, a premise that is funny on the face of it. Or like, that's like a farcical idea that could happen, uh, to someone. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like the situation of him being jailed was, was very funny. And I, I do see what you're saying exactly about the characters because I think leaving these things out, like not having white people examine their exact privileges situation is the same as examining it in a way. Uh, not showing something is almost the same as interrogating it. Uh, if you make them not do that throughout the movie, it's almost, you know, you could read it uh, the opposite way. It's like, uh, yeah, this is a movie that's very aware of, of privilege and whiteness and, uh, and their relationship to, to this it's... prisoner. But, uh, it's just not overtly conversational about it. I think it's not the right. central point of the film, but it's an element and it's in there. I think, um, but you it just doesn't make it. that. That yeah, I don't think it makes it its thesis, and that's fine. I don't think it needs to. Um, but I, I, I can see why the the comedy might not work as well. I think that's also a potential thing with Altman in general. We had the same kind of difference when it came to Predaporte, and that you didn't yeah. find any of it funny, and I I found a lot of it. And and also again, I, I think that. Very rarely is Altman a an overtly comedic director. There's there's often humor in his films, and there's you know interactions, but they almost feel like a consequence of just you know the the, the kind of genuine spirit of humanity that he's often striving for. And it's he's not... probably got like the all time record of Letterbox reviews saying, "Oh yeah, this guy's a deconstructive filmmaker. He's deconstructing comedy because he's not funny." I think he might have like the all time <laughs> record of people saying that in all of his reviews. 
it's it's potential. I think you you definitely said that about one of them. I can't remember uh, if it was Beyond Therapy or OC and Stig's uh, as primary examples. I don't know. I think Sometimes the shoe does couple. fit. Yeah. There's there's lots of cases where it's like films that are uh, seem to be surface level presenting themselves as comedies, but are often not funny at all. Um, but in in the the latter two cases here, and talking about Cookie's Fortune and Predaporte, I do see the humor uh, a, a lot more, and it is humorous. I think I don't think it's funny per se. If if you understand that difference there, it doesn't have punchlines, but it is a no. yeah, it has a sense of humor about what's but, happening. But I I think there is a lot of humor, in especially in terms of the the Glenn Close character. The, the constant coming yeah. back to the the, the 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 crime scene and seeing this just total indifference they have to it and just taking down all of the tape again I, I it's this kind of lampooning portrayal of a very entitled character that I find mm. to to be humorous and and again the you know in, in incisive in its uh, critiques there it's, it's it's managing to be both for well, me I think but, this is at least a, a very agreeable disagreement and I think we see yeah. see the same things and then we say, this did or didn't work. I mean, I, I see all the things you're saying, and I'm like, well, I those are all right, but that's exactly what I didn't buy into, uh, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, it's you know, it's the disagreement I'd rather have rather than being like, oh, this is a racist movie. It's not, you know, it's a. Uh, I mean, it could be both. It could be perceived one way or the other. That's that's a potential double edged sword you get if you if you take that as an element of your film in either way. I think, and if unless it's handled in very like strict terms and very you know decisive way. and even then i would say to an extent you could get a reading of it being actually racist you know uh, if, if you're not doing it properly but uh in, in, that is to say in this case i i don't find that to be the case but i certainly can see why um you know it could appear that way to to many viewers and you're not the only one of course who who's seen it this way although the film is I, I think more more largely on the positive side in terms of its reception certainly was at the time. Yeah, it's yeah, it's fairly yeah. more well more liked. positively reviewed. Again, yeah. Ebert, but it's not... who often made like the case for these like when these films had low viewership, he was like the champion of them. He gave it mm-hmm. a perfect score, two thumbs up. So yeah, I, I would not give it a perfect score. <laughs> I don't I don't think it's great. Uh, I I like some of uh, one of the other things I I guess I like that's more on the technical side again seeing this kind of consistency throughout altman's career and as an extension of his kind of 90s comeback here is that the the artistic consideration behind the camera is still very on point the one of the scenes that stuck out to me was the this kind of uh focused zoom that's kind of out of uh, the the shot of the action on one of the scenes where Liv tyler and chris o'donnell are hooking up in the police station and even though all of that stuff is like that that did nothing for me. That whole relationship. Yeah, that's that's dynamic. questionable. Whatever that means to the text, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah that it, zoom is good. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that great technical craft still there. And again, I think I think a balancing of characters. So all of the things that really define Altman films, I think, are still really flourishing here. Just obviously not to the the greatest extent that even you know his his 90s period coming back with shortcuts in the player were. Uh, although materially, I think it's stronger than some of his more loose films. You know, it's, it's got a bit more backbone to it that uh, I was able to get on board with anyway. Although, again, it's 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 still more of a, a an enjoyable experience with some interesting perspective, I think. But obviously uh, has some contention for other viewers. 
It's just whether you want to watch the frozen tundra of the Montreal Expo or whether you're interested <laughs> in a southern Coca-Cola commercial. I think is I, the I cannot wait. I cannot wait to be done talking about <laughs> that Expo. I know we'll, we'll revisit it one more time here at the end with the rankings, but I'm I'm ready to never ever think about Quintet again. <laughs> you don't know that I won't find future connections to Quintet as a, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's possible if we go into another filmography. The, there's some Montreal elements. Potentially. I'll find a way back. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to our next film here, which is, uh, at yeah, the turn of millennium here. We're now in the 2000s with Dr. T and the Women. Probably, like, the most curious uh, film, just like <laughs> how it's constructed is very strange. I saw, uh, for my 5,000 film on Letterboxd, I saw... Um, the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T, and I wrote, like, a sweet, like, poem about, like, how we watch films on uh, Letterboxd in, like, a Dr. Seussian way. And -hmm. I think, like, Altman's just, like, just cribbing from that title, but uh, you don't quite realize that until the, like, last five minutes that he's uh, actually interested in a surrealist idea here. Yeah, the the last five minutes, I think, put a really nice cap on the film and kind of demonstrate uh to a viewer whether whether you are on board with it or not uh up until then the the movie is not especially metaphorical um but that it it really goes forth there to kind of solidify its meaning and i and i think to a successful degree but that's not to say that everything precedes it is uh entirely supportive of it's uh it's a messaging there which again i think i think it i agree with you it's it's a very interesting movie very interesting in terms of what it wants to say and achieve and and does to a degree but is is ultimately kind of like you know a mixed bag in its in its success and its conveyance of that message um here's my other bone to pick with uh, roger ebert today who says that this is uh he does this twice in a row. I think he says it's uh, Robert Altman's most autobiographical film because it's about <laughs> a man around women. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's autobiographical because Roger, you know, uh, Robert Altman makes films with many women in him, and he did it again here. And I'm like, well, yeah. that's that's just what he does. That's not autobiography. That's it. I hear, and and I think it's also a bit insulting frankly yeah i think so because the whole thesis i think the whole thing is that dr t is a man who is absolutely in love with and thinks he understands women so completely thanks to his relationships his profession and everything about his life is but but absolutely does not and Mm -hmm. the events of the film are the complete breakdown of that myth that he has about women as all of his relationships kind of like turn in on themselves and become a, you know, a, you know reveal themselves to be, if anything, like the opposite often of what he had let, been led to believe about each of them. Yeah, uh, everything think, he perceived of his wife, his daughters, his secretary, it's all just. Yeah. Go, not all right. completely off base. And, and he is struggling to then reconcile how, he felt uh, as a man, you know, basically kind of like in control of this understanding of women. Cause it, and I think it's a really good premise and it exposes that kind of like toxic idea that, that uh, I, I guess suave men or confident men can carry about this idea of, Oh, Oh, like I've unlocked the secrets of women, you know, that, right. that ideology. Uh, and 
the the choice of making him a, a gynecologist i think is, is especially apt in doing that it's kind of like this perfect representation and the casting of richard gear helps increase that idea even more so because he, he is this kind of you know larger than life sex symbol that appeals directly to women um you know in a specific sense to that time and place so and then making it a very non richard gear character too like you would think oh it'd just be like a womanizer that goes and does this but but he really thinks he has a profound understanding of women and uh what he ends up getting to do in the film is it quite um womanizing them i mean he's not quite uh uh, manipulating and, and gaslighting women in a way. No, no, and he's not. The whole appeal of Richard Gere is that he's innately charming. You know, mm. it's not uh, his his methodology of uh, gaining the attention of women in the film is or in films is not based on like a manipulation. You know, in yeah. explicit terms, so to speak, but really like appealing to them directly. And so to to cast him in this kind of role and then flip that on its head by making him unable to perceive with and understand and be intimate with any of the women in his life here, I think is a very smart subversion and, you know, a good casting choice there. The problem with the film is that it's kind of reductive in the characters of its women. <laughs> like it oh, doesn't really yeah. it doesn't give them strong characters to kind of follow with and identify. It's again for for a film that is about Doctor T and the women it's really about Dr. T. I think in some way, like you have the ampersand, which I, I uh, obsess over in the Altman films. and uh, Which, which I want to point out, came from a Roger Ebert review. Yeah. Uh, that's true. And uh, yeah, him saying that and implies company of McCabe and Miss Miller. Whereas I think Warren Beatty's character has kind of the same relationship where he thinks he knows women, but they're ultimately unknowable to him. Like he's so frustrated that he can't figure out uh, the wom the woman of Miss Miller, and uh, in that same uh, way, and the women I, are kind of against him. I do want to clarify: it's not that women are like unknowable intrinsically; it's that they're unknowable to these kind of arrogant men who think that they can un understand women <laughs> innately. You know, right. it's 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 specifically that kind of of man who who thinks he's unlocked the secrets, so to speak, because of his charismatic nature you know yeah, I, like I agree there, with you that like there is Do a dr t <laughs> secret yeah Do dr t and mccabe are are one and the same in terms of how they they view women and and how they can interact with them but yeah, yeah. just from like the very beginning uh, it, it, it starts off on a really bad note i think <laughs> with uh with fair Fawcett, his wife like having a total mental collapse and stripping down in like a pool uh, like like fountain in in a mall, and then I wish they... it didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I, it would be better if like they didn't then follow that up by like diagnosing her with a made up psychological disease that basically just says she's infantilized now and thinks she's a child because she had too much love in her life. <laughs> that doesn't help you, anyone. You, yeah, you loved her too much, and, and it's like that. That would work well if. I, I thought that the that Dr. T was the only one buying that diagnosis, you know, that because his, his whole confession scene is, is, again, kind of ridiculous. And that it's like, it's not your fault, girls, that your mother ended up this way. It's it's me. It's my fault. I loved her too much. And now this is what happened. Like, 
I, I feel like that would work well if the movie didn't want me to buy into it equally that this was a, a actual mental, you know, uh, issue that, that, that she's struggling with. And again, in the way it manifests in this cartoonishly infantilizing way is, is really gross. And yeah, the, 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 the movie then benefits by basically cutting her out from the rest of it entirely. So we just don't have to deal with that anymore. But it also demonstrates how absolutely weak of a thread that is that they, they, they just straight yeah. up abandoned it. <laughs> yeah. That's a strange thing to do. And if it, if it did tie into something later and uh, if they kind of reversed it or examined it somehow, maybe it would be more interesting, but uh, unexamined at the start of the film, I think it just throws a uh, kind of curveball for, um, I think it, I think maybe it was intending to show something more surreal. Hopefully. I don't know what the intent was, but, uh, you know, if they did do something more surrealistic again, cause that that's be kind better. of like, that's like that's like the breaking point for everything else that comes. That's the first major incident in terms of Doctor T's perception of women in his life is totally undone. Is that's that's yeah. the first kind of inciting incident of that, and then subsequent thing, you know, uh, dynamics fall apart from there. I think the strongest one, the one that I, I found resonated the most, was his relationship with his daughter, who, um, you know, is is in this uh, cis relationship, but ends up abandoning it for a. Uh, you know, more intimate and uh, truthful. I, I think it, the, the story communicates um, homosexual uh, relationship with another woman. And Dr. T is perplexed by this. He doesn't mm. understand it. You know, he... But but he's not, like, hateful, I think, is, is kind of mm. the important linchpin of it there. He, he just did not see that at all in his daughter, and he did not understand why she was leaving this, you know, uh, more conventional which, relationship. Which I think is his misconception about women, is that there's something to, to see in their gender that determines something about them, or, or that women are deterministic because they're women. Or, yeah. or that, like, a whole gender is knowable, I guess, uh, is are some of his odd conclusions. Yeah, so I think that, again, it's... And I think it's really strong in that core idea, but just some of the yeah, execution like it, is... Bad or gross, but uh, I guess to tie Some back of the, the actresses en- are really good though. Oh yeah, um, they are, but they just they don't have like real characters is the problem. Yeah. They're they're they, they are figures for Doctor T in the film, and I don't think the film is aware that they are you know basically cutouts for. for I think it could consider. be really great if it if it, it could. Like, invested in their depth. I think this could be a really terrific Altman movie. It's almost I, there. Either that, or you lean into the the kind of like two-dimensional nature of their characters even more and so you make it very obvious that dr t you know doesn't view them as individuals so much and doesn't understand them fundamentally and it's so, so when frustrating you... it's like in such an obvious place where a push in either direction would like clearly make it so mm-hmm. much better and and i and i think the ending is very successful i like the ending a lot because it, like i said it puts a cap on it basically so so you basically he drives out in this storm after like <laughs> literally everything has fallen apart and he ends up like in the middle of nowhere in the desert somewhere and there's is an, he like in mexico or something like he's in a whole different i, th- I think place. so i think yeah. i think it is uh i can't quite remember but n- nobody there right. uh you can't understand anyone but there's a medical emergency and he has to do this uh a delivery someone you know is, is giving birth and when he delivers it it's it's a boy and he's so relieved he's so excited that it's a boy and and I think that's very very powerful. It shows that like he he's just like entirely broken with this perception of him that he that he no longer 
you know, he uh, wants to, to, to deal with them, I guess, um, is how you would say it. So, so I think that's a, a profound demonstration of his total, you know, collapse of, of, of understanding of women. And, and, it's, and it's executed in a very nice way. Very, it's a, even a little bit Wizard of Oz, uh, something between yeah, like the yeah. five thousand fingers. Wizard of Oz getting blown away, and then having to deal with like a the the unreality of like your what your actual life was. Yeah, it's a strong moment. Yeah, one of the the stronger moments of surrealism in an Altman film, and and I wish the rest of the film supported its ideas better because I think it could be. Yeah. A, a, it would have been a really fantastic film if it was. Just a hair, hair better. Instead, it's just kind of caught in the middle. <sighs> I think it would just take a small push, and I think this would be uh, something that we that we really talked about and and would kind of move up pretty naturally in our yep. rankings. Un- so unfortunately, close. yeah, not not quite there. It? Yeah, it's it's um, not very invested in its female characters, which is quite ironic. Oh yeah. All right, so after that is probably the most heralded film of the late Altman career, Gosford Park. Um, this was, Disgusting. I think, his, his his last big shot for the Academy Award. Uh, there's those great stories about Altman uh, just kind of laughing at every award it it lost. Um, <laughs> yeah, because right. he, he, he'd, he'd taken a bunch of edibles before the, the <laughs> ceremony, which is having the time of his life there. Um, but yeah, it, it was uh, received incredibly well. Uh, upon its release, um, do you know how many was... times I had to try to watch this movie to get through it? I think at least <laughs> eight or nine times. I think I had to like sit down and like try to invest in Gosford Park, like a movie I looked forward to most of it because, as you say, it is well received. It has a lot of a uh, notions built up around it being like the last good Altman film, and then uh, on my uh, sixth or seventh time, I don't even know if I'm like an expert on this movie based on watching it that many times. I'm just so disassociated with everything about this movie i don't i don't really care i get it i get it and uh it's going to come back to my my constant refrain of movies like this and that the issues of the the bourgeoisie do very little for me <laughs> i'm not yeah. i'm not interested in, in 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 petty conflicts like that but uh this film is more than that obviously it's not just a bunch of stuffy rich white people um, eventually you know, it is uh, yeah i mean it takes a while it is just stuffy white people for a long time well it cuts back and forth with the, yeah. the with the servants going on it's it's very much so in the mold of the upstairs downstairs you know kind of dynamic that is, is often described and uh, it should be noted as well that this uh the, the the writer of the script eventually spun off and took the same concept and applied it to a well-known television series that is beloved i think you may have heard of it downton abbey never seen it but yep well, uh, I think for my those wife who, has seen some of who might have heard of it, yep, that that comes from Gosford Park uh, specifically. Okay. Uh, Laura has a good review of something Downton Abbey on the website, so maybe maybe we have some content around that. Well, there's also you know, and people are generally fans of the dynamic, and I and I can see mm-hmm. why, especially more towards the. I think one of the things that when I went into it, I saw this for the first time several several years ago, probably more like five years ago, and I did not like it at all it was very very boring i thought did it improve for you at all it did quite a lot i was not bored watching it this time but i knew what to expect going in i think that was a big difference i think a big problem with is is that if you you kind of just look at like the advertising for it and such um 
it's it, it doesn't quite tell you what it's going to be like, which is the case for a lot of Altman films. Like they right. just they're harder to package. So and it's and it's labeled as a it's a it's a kind of classical whodunit. It's a murder mystery. L- literally, this is the tagline on the poster. It says, "Tea at four, dinner at eight, murder at midnight." That murder. So you think it's an Agatha Christie? <laughs> yeah. That murder does not happen until over halfway into the film. It's and over the like film 50 is in, minutes in, right? Like, I was just it's, waiting. It's more than, yeah. Yeah, it is a long, long time. And it is not about the murder so much. Like, the murder is practically incidental. As you might expect from an Altman film if you're, if you're familiar with him. But if you're not, if you're just like, ooh, Altman's doing a murder mystery film. You know, let's check this out. And, and Michael Gambon is just surviving and, and thriving for the majority of the movie and eventually he dies and it's only towards the end when when we learn who did it and again it's not it's not revealed in like a big way where it's like a, oh it was this guy in the parlor room with the savvy knife you know yeah it's not that it, consequential it, no no it's not it's not a whodunit in in the kind of pulpy you know kind of kind of way I mean, there, there's no Poirot kind of kind of stumbling in and, and telling us everything that happened here, which again is is fine. That's not an issue with the film per se. But if that's the expectations you have going in, you you might be kind of impatient and a little bored by what's going on. I certainly was the first time I saw it, but going in this time, I I took it more at its face of what it actually is, which is this um yeah you know, this this spectrum of dynamics of you know interactions between these poor subjects that are kind of waiting on these people and the, you know, the kind of privileged, um, snobby, rich people, you know, who uh, have all of these practices and rituals and ideas. Um, and, and, and seeing the dynamics of that, because ultimately that's what an Altman film, I think, is about, is examining these human relationships and dynamics. And Gosford Park does that in, to, to a great degree in a number of scenes, I think, but not always and and i think one of the issues as well is that there's a lack of variety in in the people i think they, um, they all they all sound like the same character to me like they all sound yeah. like they're written yeah. and they're of the same cloth and as you say there's i don't even think there's a dynamic there. i think they're all just like a repetitive character archetype that altman's going for oh i agree it, it it does feel like it's it's cutting back and forth between two situations there's there's mm-hmm. the rich privileged people and the the subjugated you know lower class individuals who have disdain for the rich people and the dynamic between those two i think is often interesting but it's very easy to get lost in the distinct dynamics between the different cast members they all start to kind of bleed into one another especially as we cut away for long periods of time before coming back to another one because there are there's a lot of different characters you know going on there's um, I, I like the relationship between uh, Maggie Smith and um, oh my god, I, I'm just blanking on her name. Oh. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas. Um, mm-hmm. No, nope, that's not her. My bad. I just named somebody else there. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember either. I, like I said, I need to watch it again. She's despite... a, the, the... yeah. There you go, Kelly McDonald. That's that's okay. who it was. I'm sorry. Uh, so so between Mag- Maggie Smith and uh, Kelly McDonald, there's a really great scene in particular where she where, where where Maggie Smith is like kind of inquiring in about the drama of of the servants and what's going on there. So like she she very clearly has this curiosity about them to a degree, but at the same time a disdain 
for them and in disgust towards you know their 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 lower class you know uh, um, livings and, and all that but thrives off of their interactions uh, while at yeah. the same time there's, there's obviously an interesting dynamic between Kelly McDonald and Clive Owen that's going on and the reveals we get about his character and the different relationship between um, Bob Balaban as the, the Hollywood producer who makes the, the Charlie Chan mysteries and uh, Ryan mm-hmm. Philippe as his uh, his his butler or his waiter that uh, um, servant that uh, everyone kind of quickly figures out is not who he you know purports to be and the the, the further uh, intrigue of their dynamic especially in yeah. that time period those those are all interesting character dynamics that are going on here. But then for all of those, there's like a number of other ones which kind of just feel like echoes or, you know, faint recalls of the similar, you know, upstairs, downstairs, you know, situation that's going on with everyone else here. And and, and they stand out less and less. And again, the, the lack of variety in the cast also makes them kind of bleed together, even though there are a lot of really significant and standout personalities and names here. Sometimes they just, you know, other people fall by the wayside or fail to make as strong an impression and it makes the whole film feel slightly homogenous for These, you know two plus I, hours i'd say like this whole last round of films altman begins to kind of lose his ensembles in a way in a way he's always been like such a um uh, a great like a lower of people to like come on and kind of do their thing uh, like some of these films are more modeled around like a, a specific ideas that they need to reach and I find they're not as empowered as Altman's prior ensembles. You may, you may be right. I think it might have to do with the writing more so, a lack of mm-hmm. distinct character, like like strong characters throughout the entire cast. So it's easier, even for great actors, to kind of just fall into the, these more rote bits um, mm-hmm. that, that make them more indistinguishable, even as their personalities kind of allow them to stand out a little bit. It, it just goes to show that the performance and direction uh, is often not enough to make up for uh, kind of lackluster writing. I appreciate uh, but, but, our uh, British friends, but uh, too much Britishness yeah. in a certain form, I find very off-putting. Well, I, I think I think our British friends can understand the trouble that some of us will have between <laughs> yes. distinguishing a an entire cast of you know haughty, accented individuals apart. Um, and, and that's, that's too very much into- of that for me. Yeah. It's intentional here, like yeah. like obviously, like like part of it is that they're supposed to feel very homogenous and indistinguished from one another because mm-hmm. they're all rich, privileged white people, you know, and that's yeah. kind of the whole idea is that they all live in this bubble. But it's still hard. Like as as a filmmaker, you should be able to distinguish them more uh, overtly. I think you know, and and I think Gosford Park struggles with that in a, in a lot of areas, um, and and. I will say that I I struggle with that less this time than I did okay. five years ago, so maybe in another five years, yeah, I I might have a, an even better time. Um, I and I'm sure our, our our British friends may not have even struggled with it the first time. You know, yes. maybe they had a perfect distinction of who everyone was and their backgrounds and, and had no trouble understanding them between these thick accents. You know, <laughs> I, I I know it's a hurdle for me, but uh... <laughs> and if they don't sound like accents, maybe you just see through it and just see the characters that are there yeah um yeah but it's i i won't say it was one of the harder ones to to get behind but there, there is a bit of a kind of distancing element in terms of the the subject matter that you know i feel with some other dramas of this this ilk this variety um yeah and again like the, the I, I think the homogenous nature of the cast which is not the film's fault that's the subject you know you, you need it to be an entire cast of you know 
snooty white people. Uh, but but that does make it less in enticing. Materially. And I think it's also the second film today. I wanted to be a whodunit, which didn't really end up being about that that <laughs> specifically. It didn't really deliver what I wanted from that. I think. Uh, yeah, and again, that's a, a matter of I think uh, misplaced expectations, which I, th- I think is very easy well, to. It, I mean, you know, misplaced, but then as you say, the poster really advertises them. Yeah, so yeah I'm not. I'm not it's saying it's, not it's your them. fault for yeah. for the misplaced expectations. I think the the movie. And so, some of the discussion around it, um, maybe not as much, but, you know, helps you misplace those expectations. But, uh, you know, as with any film that we go in with preconceptions about, if, if we have a different idea the next time, the experience can be very different. And it, and it was certainly for me. I ultimately like Gosford Park. Um, I was uh, I find it, you know, interesting, again, especially, and I think there's a stronger sense of, of character dynamics here. It's just it requires a lot more of me to maintain investment. Like it's, it's really easy to lose focus. Yeah. And, and, and I don't always feel like, I don't feel the film necessarily warrants that amount of required attention from me. Not, not that I'm not giving the film all of my attention whenever I'm watching, but you know, it, it, it doesn't invite it as easily as I feel like it should, I, should, I guess. Well, yeah, next time I need my tea and other quintessentially British shit, and I just need to, like, sit down and really engage. Uh, I, I was more engaged with what I've seen from Downton Abbey, so maybe that's more on my side of what, what this Maybe, be. maybe. I mean, it's a blueprint, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like so... MASH is a blueprint for a show that's much better than it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah he did it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, congrats on launching better shows from other people. Robert uh, Nashville should have been a, a great show too, but I don't think it could have overpowered what a fantastic was, movie that was. So. Is the Nashville show inspired by the Nashville movie? I no. I was not under the understanding it was, but maybe it should have been. Yeah, it, it would be better if it were. But I, I do think that's a good comparison in that these are both highly acclaimed films that you and I are pretty mid on from <laughs> right. Altman. That, so, yeah. so this and MASH are, are kind of in the, you know, don't hate us bin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm more of a, a fan of Paranoid Park. Let's uh, rank those Gus Van Zandt. Someday. Maybe that's a, a teaser for a later thing we can do. But uh, I, I like the other kind. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Park, okay, band. Are there, are there any other parks that, that are worth going over? That Cold Day in the Park. How about as, that one? Oh, yeah, Cold Day in the <laughs> Park. I, yeah, I always got it confused with the. Uh, I think it was a uh, Gross Point Blank when I was a kid. I was like, these are the same movie. Nobody <laughs> told me. I thought Gosford Park, Gross Point Blank were the same thing. And I had the soundtrack to Gross Point Blank. I was like, oh, Gosford Park's going to be a cool movie one day. And I was like, no, it's not that soundtrack. You know, I I see it. I see where your brain <laughs> rearranged the letters like that and kind of filled in the blanks. But, like, obviously on paper. There are zero similarities. Right. If you haven't seen either movie, you don't know what either looks like. You don't have the internet. But all you have is the CD. That's the soundtrack. And people keep saying both these titles around you. And they're both kind of about, uh, well, a murder in some way, I guess. It's uh, it's I, just... You could get there. As a it's a weird brain thing where we associate similar-ish sounding words together. And they kind of just come together. Gross Point, Gosford Park. <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, I... I I see where the brain made the connection, even though, like, logically, there's no reason to jump to that. <laughs> I just remember, you know, opening with uh, uh, some violent femmes, some blister in the sun. You have uh, David Bowie, Queen, under pressure. 
That was my exposure mm. to that, which was my favorite song. Is a uh, oh look, it's uh, I had a well, lot. Wasn't of, uh, everyone's? I, I yeah, feel like it must have been I, everyone's. I so. Like at that at that younger age, just because um, maybe get, just because it got so much play. But I remember playing it over and over. And also, it's kind of hard not to be wowed by the coming together of two like giant <laughs> names like that. Even not knowing who they were as a kid, just that under pressure was just around all the time. Um, why why can't we give ourselves one more chance, Calvin? Uh, I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that. Uh, Gross Point Blank, uh, not the best Robert Altman film. Not even one. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I always associated it more so with The Company, myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Company, which, uh, again, uh, uh, should just be an ampersand, should be the title of the film. <laughs> he should just finally and... call the film ampersand. I would have called him my favorite director. <laughs> so, the, the Company, I think, is... Mm... Is it one of the, the, the least known about I mean, I, I think I've seen it more than some stuff like O.C. and Stig's probably, or like Fool for Love. But like, definitely of this bunch, probably the Altman film I've heard the least about and had the least expectations going in. But but sounded promising, you know. Uh, Altman doing ballet, do, doing the ballet yeah. scene, you know. And like, ballet like, just being like a natural ensemble of performers. That why not? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is a surprisingly small ensemble. I get it's, it is it's, it's kind of kind of ironic. There's like three or four people. <laughs> he could of have interest. done more of this one time. Um, I I had read somewhere that it was uh Nev Campbell, you know who who stars yeah. in the film is the primary uh like specifically like went after Altman like like uh, rigorously to get him to direct it. He wasn't interested at first. Um. <laughs> And I kind of get that watching it. Like, I don't know that Altman cared about it even as he was making it as much. Um, it's not to say that it's poorly made, but like, it, it feels very protracted in, in terms of his, his investment here from uh, any of the other films. Usually, when I, you know, I, I can point out and see where Altman is enthusiastic about something, or he has an idea about something he wants to consider going in, and here, it, it feels very formal. For me, it, it provides some limitations around him that the, this last series hasn't quite provided. I think uh, him having to learn about ballet and learn how to shoot it makes it interesting and a more kinetic movie than the others have been. I like how he shoots I, ballet. I, I, think I love the pretty. the ballet was great. I th- I think and uh, although I will say that I think some of it comes from the the choreography itself, which mm-hmm. you know I, I think he's d- disconnected with in that thing. I can't really credit him with the choreography. Yeah, I don't. But know. it is that, really that comes from like the dance company that he was uh, yeah. studying with. Yeah. So. so so yeah, credit to them. But he does photograph it really well. Uh, you know, I must say like it's presented uh, incredibly. Like there is an artistry to capturing dance on film. That is often unappreciated because you're 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 more taken in by the spectacle of the performance, and that's because the the cameraman and the editor have to know their jobs and allow the dancing to do the the talking there and to dis- and and to portray it in a way that's not cutting away from so often. That that was one of the things I, I guess as a Hollywood anecdote here that uh, Fred Astaire really established when he first came onto the scene is that. Um, all of his dances had to be filmed, you know, from from head to toe. Had to have him completely in frame. You needed to see at all times that he was doing the dance. He was doing the routine, and he mm-hmm. didn't want it cut up a bunch either. They had to be done in you know very long takes to show that it really is him doing the dance for that amount of time. You know, people needed to believe that. 
and that was hugely influential on how dance was captured from then on and and you see that legacy you see that legacy here i think as well in the way he he captures things you know there's there's not too many close-ups in terms of dance not too cutting into the action because you want to see that whole performance and you Mm -hmm. want to see the whole thing without it feeling too much like it's just like you captured it you know from like the balcony at the stage you know it's not like like it's a broadway bootleg yeah no (laughs) but 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 i guess in saying that the the lack of like kind of distinct characterization here or investment in the the individuals makes me feel like i would get just as much out of a documentary of a similar subject yeah and it's really just exploring the realities of being in ballet i think and uh just like what a dancer's life could look like outside of the company and um, yeah i mean that's all very basic and and we don't like james franco that's not that's no no we don't (laughs) Uh, I I didn't care about him either as well. Like it's not like he yeah. his character even made an impression. So wasn't like, in he's a way a, for me. He yeah it, it it didn't it neither bothered me nor like invested me. You know it it was almost like I just forgot about him as as an element of the film. I think I think its strengths are in this kind of observation of a a dedication to art to creating art and performance. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I I think you would get that just as equally out of a, a, a documentary and just like, kind of like a behind the scenes capturing of you know performers working backstage doing their rehearsals seeing the final product you know would you believe that roger ebert said this is robert altman's most autobiographical movie again <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would i would not so i, I want to see some receipts no okay. if, if he did i need to see some receipts on that because he did <laughs> He what? Said, well, he he even describes that because they, since they became friends, he knows them better, and he sees that inside his process that the company is like the most like mirrored idea of what the Robert Altman process of creation is like, and so it's his most auto- autobiographical work. He's made two most autobiographical movies: a movie about a I, gynecologist and ballet. I don't I don't see that, <laughs> especially from everything I understand about Altman. This this very collaborative nature. Uh, yeah. In fact, if anything, it feels inverse because the, the, the Malcolm McDowell character, you know, the guy running the company here, <laughs> is kind of very, you know, uh, specific in, in what he wants, you know, very, mm-hmm. very critical of his performers, you know, and, you know, wants these very exact things, which is, yeah, you know, makes sense for ballet because you need that kind of like, like synchronicity uh, amongst the performers. And Altman is very much the opposite. You know, from my understanding, I never knew the guy. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. say. <laughs> I think I think I see what he means about the process of like what what how a ballet comes together and how an Altman film might come together. But I don't think like the literal text has anything to do with how Altman makes movies. Well, I, I and he was that. always he's always acknowledged as a very collaborative director and very you know personal with all of his performers <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> and also loose in terms of like the material itself. Like right. he would he he'd actively work against. A script, and often, you know, at, at the agitation of it, the, the writers. So, so he's I, kind I of in a dance. I, I see what Ebert might mean if you consider Altman's direction as a dance. I, it's improvisational. It, it's moving off script, but it's also uh, choreographed guess. just enough to get things where they need to be on a camera. How, how do you feel about a critic, like, kind of openly communicating with and, and alluding to their relationship with the people that they're critiquing? I feel okay about it. Uh, listen to the new modern cast whenever you. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't know because I could see it happening, and I could see where it, it where I feel like I um, have like a friendship with these guys. That I really enjoy their movies, and I want to talk about them. 
I, I could see it. I could see myself doing it eventually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd do it in the text, though. I feel like that kind of just would discredit yeah. the next line. That's, I feel like if you're going to evaluate someone's work in a, in a professional capacity, uh, you know, and kind of put it out there, you, you need to address it as such, like, to to kind of lean back on that informal relationship that, that you maintain. Uh, and particularly in using that to apply to your critique feels really weird. Like, again, like, the, the idea that Ebert's like, oh, I know Altman on a personal level, so I can actually speak better to how this reflects, you know, this material reflects him. Yeah. Uh, that, you did that, it kind of with Scorsese, too. It kept coming up, like, in his, like, mid-career Scorsese reviews. Like, like I broke this that, guy, and now I know him, you know? That also feels, like, inherently dismissive of critiques that approach someone as a as an artist who don't know them you know on, yeah. on a familiar level like oh now your, your review is more you know uh objective because you met the guy yeah i, I don't uh, quite buy into the, yeah 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 i, so I wouldn't do it uh, but if i were friends with robert altman i'd probably try to tell people that oh wait i would too definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, i i don't I, think i could stop myself even so uh yeah, yeah. Speaking as Altman's bestie, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, um, I would write about how you know um, what what's the worst uh, Altman movie we could think of? How um, well how Quintet is really autobiographical, and uh, yeah. how Altman always dreamed of the Montreal Expo. Mm-hmm. You thought we were done mentioning it? He, he, I, he, I found he... another way in. <laughs> Altman, you know, based on how I know him personally, uh, definitely lives in a kind of frosted glass view of the world. <laughs> At least metaphorically, that's how he, he definitely sees the world. His now, li- li- literally, he's got like cataracts in his eyes. <laughs> when he trained to become a gynecologist. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Ebert. Um, I, I love when I love when Ebert has like a whole profile and you go through a filmography, though, and you could see like uh, someone really making a case for someone and and someone who really uh, brings attention to a, a auteur's work who's being ignored at the time. Um, that's a valuable mm-hmm. use for a critic, I think, is to, to really keep someone in conversation when their career dips. Was Pauline Kael writing about him still at this point? I, don't, I hadn't read any, really, of the Pauline Kael ones. They were um, they seemed mostly complimentary, but uh, I, I didn't really... The early ones, definitely. She was a big fan of, like... Brewster, wasn't she? And McCabe. Yeah, the 70s period she was... Uh, oh, that, that would make sense. She was dead. Yeah. Yep. Uh, she didn't she say much. At this point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, didn't say much at all about the company. Yeah. No critiques. Um, that must be a good thing. Yeah, that must uh, that must bode well for it. But yeah, she was such a big proponent of like the McCabe and like the really major Altman works. And maybe if she... Uh, uh, I think uh, she liked Nashville writing. though, right? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't remember. Um, I'm sure someone can look it up and tell us. Uh, we got we got to keep going here with our own critiques. Yeah. So uh, the company yeah. though, I liked it. I think it's very basic, but I I liked it. Um, I connected with it. Is is there anything, any particular strong suits you found? Because again, like I, I I like the dancing, but like that was really it. And again, I I can acknowledge them. Like it has a very formal interest in the creation of art and the dedication to that. But I think it's very impersonal in investigating yeah. the the individuals who strive to do that and the, the, and their character. Uh, I think it's very absent of character, even as the characters seem to display traits and a personality. The film is entirely 
disconnected from that. And this is also like even even looser and even more disconnected from a kind of narrative than even uh, the kind of regular Altman films. It's very much so like objective lists in terms of what it's pursuing here. It's, I think it's, it's, it's just really like, like observing from a distance. It's so clinical about it, but uh, I think uh, that's, I mean, it, it worked for me. Like I, I didn't have any issues with this one or the pacing. I was kind of just in on it. Um, the dancing was enough for me to get through the kind of really basic relationship stuff, which was also fine because I was interested in um, maybe a less like overblown <laughs> cinematic idea of what like a, a dancer could be since we already have like the, perfect examples of black swan and red shoes and uh, i i didn't i don't know i have those movies for something else but uh i wanted to see what altman had to bring to ballet uh, i think it's such an interesting subject I, w- I was i was tempted to start my letterbox review like this i'm not sure what it would take for me to care about 2000s new york ballet apparently not even a robert altman movie with a massive talented cast and runaway exhibition that always lands in dog shit. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess you, you couldn't have been in on it. Um, would be one way to look at it. I think it wouldn't... There's nothing that could have interested you, I think, about it. Uh, unless I, no, it I, became I like a musical. Uh, I, I don't think that's the case. I think I very much could have been interested in it. I just don't think that the movie does anything to make the material any more interesting than its surface-level presentation. And again, yeah. like the... The ancillary theme, the themes that kind of come along with, oh, dedication and art, you know, and in the process of how something is made. I, I don't think it actually investigates it. I think it just kind of presents it. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, let's uh, wrap this up with the very last Altman film. Uh, such a, very, co- yeah. a, such a cozy movie for me, like such a cozy, warm ending for Altman to... Uh, get into something that I like, which is like theater of the mind radio. Like, uh, I've always been a big radio head, and I've always been like, okay, I'm like invested in, uh, um, I guess programming that's like storytelling on radio, and like the old like uh, 50s, 60s kind of radio. Like, I just stay up all night like listening to the rebroadcasts of classic, uh, like uh, Gumshoe stories or you know like Detective Noir. Like, I wasn't so much into those movies at that point. I was just like so fixated on like the radio idea of like if i don't see these people i could really buy into this world like a uh, for me being an auditory learner i think it's just so, such a compelling way to tell a story that i get from audiobooks now mm-hmm. it's it's definitely an interesting subject that i think is a very nice conclusion for Altman's career albeit one that he didn't plan as to be such uh it's yeah. it's it's about this uh, at the ending of this radio show, the last broadcast of A Prairie Home Companion, which is a, a long-running radio series uh, in the Midwest, I think. Yeah, and it was uh, syndicated that, that, everywhere. I think we had it on NPR over here. It, it should be noted that The Prairie Home Companion had not ended at the time this movie uh, was made. That's funny. And in fact, did did not end for another 10 years. <laughs> it always seemed it like was, it was going to end. Yeah, it it was still going up until 2016 apparently, and even <laughs> had funny. the the involvement of the the creator who is a, a big character in the film here uh, until 2010. Yeah. So uh, that that's kind of interesting in terms of like it's it's already talking about the end of it even though it hasn't. Uh, but also again like kind of unintentionally it 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 kind of bookends Altman's career in terms of these themes of finality and this kind of melancholic conclusion. 
uh, because it was the last film for for Altman. He he died uh, shortly after its release. Uh, although he was planning other films already, uh, I'm I'm I will always be upset that we never got <laughs> Altman adapting the the documentary Hands on a Hard Body, which yeah, was already on nice. its way. He was going to collaborate with Meryl Streep again to to get her Oof. in on it as well. Yeah, it would have been great. It would have been great for sure, and uh, never came to fruition. I think um, it. I think it really works once again as like a midwestern perspective. I guess a Minnesotan might be a little bit of a stretch too, but uh, um, I think uh, as like a midwestern personality, I think uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Garrison Keillor was uh, the guy who ran the show. Uh, yeah, in some places, yeah. I think in Minnesota, it was even just called like the Garrison Keillor show at first. Like it was like uh, originally just syndicated there, and then uh, then nationally. I I know a. Uh, it seemed like an old folk show. Like I had friends at the time who kind of made fun of like my really old timey radio interests, uh, just because that's a um, one of the only like really old timey interests I had was like I'm I'm so anachronistic. I need to listen to these people just tell a story with sounds. Like um, even podcasts, and I think audiobooks aren't like up to that level of quality of of really investing you in these stories. I've I've listened to a couple of like radio dramas in podcast form but it's definitely mm-hmm. not like the old ones i've also gone back and listened to some old you know series and stuff where they did in the 30s and 40s and stuff and those are it's so cool yeah they're they're mind-blowing like they put so much effort in, and they have my favorite thing about them is their performances in front of an audience like this idea of theater mind for the radio but uh the old radio was like uh they'd have audiences even like on the shows where they were playing music like they'd actually be talking to like a um an audience of people who like just came in and out of the radio shows. And I love the idea of the DJ is like a, a personal, like a, a presenter to a group. And then that group becomes you on the radio. Like that, that was magic to me my whole life. It's very interesting. And, and I imagine you get a lot more out of it being not only versed in that scene, but particularly familiar with uh, a Prairie home companion in particular. Um, and I imagine that the film is kind of a very nice ode to people who are very familiar with it, uh, particularly yeah. as the creator, Garrison Keillor, not only is a big, you know, character within the film and played by himself, but also wrote the screenplay, you know, like... He, <laughs> and it feels like it, yeah. It's him making a story about his own show. But I, I feel like because of that, perhaps, he was maybe not aware of people who are going to watch it who aren't familiar with a prairie home right. companion um w- watching this i don't know how much of it is like biographical how many of these performers mm. were real people who were real staples on the show how many of these numbers <laughs> or like advertisements were like actual things they did uh like reading up afterwards i can see that a number of them were you know yeah, they're, they're like reference them. points to actual things but i don't know that it to, to me it looks uh, practically entirely fictitious. And you know, you're it, like, it looks what's like, a, what's it, a Lake Wabigan news report? Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it, to me, it seems it's presented as like a spiritual interpretation of the show, not like a literal callback at any point to anything in, in particular. Mm-hmm. And I'm entirely ignorant to, to any of the, those facets. And I don't think the film indicates to me at any point that I should take any of it as, as, as literal as, I'd, uh, I'd just take it representative. as a, I take it as a kind of motion picture episode of the show, really. Like, I wouldn't even take it as like a direct callback. There are so many, you know, there are like decades of like uh, examples of what this could be. I don't think 
with radio it's hard because you don't have like a collective like a physical representation that people often go back to they like hear a show once and then the, you know maybe they don't hear right. that one ever again so like direct callbacks are really difficult in radio i find but like thematic callbacks and like bits and like continuations on ideas that you've kind of formulated and created uh whether it's like his gumshoe storytelling his news breaks or his ad reels which are all very funny and i think intellectually kind of drawn from like a midwestern personality i think that's all really in the material here yeah i i think so too it's just hard for me to uh, again as an uninitiated viewer to discern what is you know what was actually related to the show and what is being inter created here for the first time as as a kind of idea of what the show was like mm -hmm. um and and i feel a sense of confusion when when watching it to know that's fair yeah. how how exactly it is uh again if, if you're familiar with it maybe you don't have that issue and it benefits but as an audience that's unfamiliar uh, I, I do feel a little uncertain but that's not to say that it's not entertaining and it doesn't, you know, bring a, a good interpretation of what the, the show was like to, to an extent or, or, or what a, a show of this kind would feel like, um, you know, the, the, with all the kind of variety performances, you know, the, the, the comical edge to things, but all of the great music and, you know, it has as well mm -hmm. and the different stories and, you know, that they, they each bring to the table here uh, from, from the beginning end that it, it feels strongest as a kind of country music variety show like yeah. like just if you were watching that but but it doesn't feel like a kind of rep a whole representation of of the the legacy of that it feels more <laughs> so like a like a snapshot and it's you know? hard as a movie because i find radio is also kind of a disposable format where you need to be able to get in and out of the car and uh, you need to be able to like go run air and then come back to your show and uh, maybe you go into work i mean it, it can't tell you like the longest form story it needs to be in bits and pieces i think so to it, like consume kinda, it as a movie is antithetical i think i think it's interesting that because uh, i wouldn't say that radio was always discardable like that in terms of starting mm -hmm. and stopping you know there it it was a precursor to television in a lot of ways in the sense that there was programmed you know shows that you would tune into every week at a specific time yeah. you know that that they used to be the the norm and nowadays, it's just really like a vehicle for, you know, uh, music and mindless entertainment when you come across, or sometimes news, you know, or uh, maybe evangelical proselytizing, depending on what station you're <laughs> tuned into. Most of it's like all the same music that's been on the radio for 20 years plus. And I think it's yep. kind of always been that way. Like, I, I know I say that now, but then like when I was a kid, I was like, God damn, these stations are just playing my parents' music too. Like, get over Led Zeppelin, it's time to get into the 90s. Uh, Mm -hmm. it, it's sick and they're still playing led zeppelin <laughs> yeah they're still playing led zeppelin but now they play pearl jam on top of it and and yep. it's like god damn why are you playing pearl jam stop it yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but radio has always been kind of backwards anachronistic versions of like what other media can be i think uh but uh, i think that even carries through in the movie i think it is kind of old-timey and and kind of fun do you do you get a sense one of the other things that i always got looking at it and also having watched it now and saying is that i get a sense of echo of uh nashville watching yeah. this do you feel like that's a that, yeah that's a good connection yeah uh, and, this one finally more nashville than mash i think we finally yeah not nearly as successful as nashville and i and i don't think it's like intentionally like it's not aping nashville by any means but it does feel spiritually connected to it and not just because of like 
Altman, and then there's also like Lily Tomlin's here, and she's a mm-hmm. important character in both films, I think. But the the country music kind of central point, you know, the the, the performance aspect, the heavy, you know. Uh, uh, aspect of that and i think also the fact that it comes like at the end of the career it feels like a bookend of like the high point versus the the conclusion um uh, but but these are all things i feel like i'm i apply to the film as, as an outsider in, in the same sense that i give it a an increased sense of thematic finality because of what i know altman you know happened altman afterwards i mean even as like a, a follower of the, uh, i mean like a, a loose follower of the show i think i'm a kind of I don't think it's the best Altman movie in any sense. I don't. I don't think it has that in its text. It's not. No. As you say, it's written by the the guy who did the show. It's not. You know, it's kind of that more than it's Altman sometimes. And and unlike say Nashville, it doesn't have this wide tapestry of like characters with a with a kind of you know uh, overriding theme in the background and all right. this intersection. Uh, it does have a, a wide cast of characters and another big gathering of you know celebrity names. I think many of whom could have been all, gone on to go you know be n- n- great Altman collaborators in the future. You know, I I'm think sure they would have been the yeah. likes of Meryl Streep and John C. Riley and Kevin Klein could have easily popped up again in any number of future Altman films. Uh, and they're all strong performers here, but uh, I, I don't never get like a deep sense of character. They feel very kind of you know. Uh, l- l- like common fixtures of it, even like uh, L- Lindsay Lohan's in this movie, and I think that's you know a really interesting part for her, uh, and and she gets a nice moment towards the end when she does a solo performance. But it does feel like that kind of predictable you know arc for a character where they're mm-hmm. like they're resistant to being a performer here, <laughs> they're kind of pushed into the spotlight, and they have this big moment, and it's really you know like like a, a big highlight for them, you know, yeah. and, and that feels very you know familiar. And it's the same with a lot of other the the, the kind of character interactions and stuff and the, the otherwise kind of loose nature of the variety show here. It it really mm-hmm. to me does feel more like this is the the show we're just going to show you the show um, than it does an investigation of what the show meant for people, who the people involved were, and you know what their you know kind of ideas were, and, you know lives like, and what they contributed as individuals or what this means as a microcosm of the scene at large, any of that, you know, these these wider themes of investigation that Altman films often naturally predispose themselves to. The fun part of getting to watch those is just, like, seeing them make the sound effects or seeing what it's like on stage. Or, um, but, yeah, I, I think it <laughs> doesn't quite work as a, a total Altman film. I, think, it, I it's, think it's a good movie, but I don't think I'd rank it high on Altmanisms. It's... It's a little disappointing, I guess, as a as a conclusion. Although I will say that I I did feel a sense mm-hmm. of accomplishment coming to the end of it. I saved this as the very very last Altman film because I wanted that sense of <laughs> end, ending and conclusion with Altman. I was like, this is the last Altman film. This is the last Altman film I need to see, and and there's going to be a sense of closure when I when I complete it here. And I think the film does provide that. I think it does so. Mm-hmm inadvertently though i you know again like i said because i know that altman was intending to go on because there is this lack of a greater depth you know because there's plenty of other times when you're going through someone's filmography be it an actor director whomever um you're you're when when you get towards the end you're usually watching yeah the crappy stuff the things that nobody's remembered anymore or that are harder to get a hold of you know and so when you get to the end you're like i did it that's it, you know. 
Uh, and, and so it's always nicer if you can go out with something really strong. And this is by no means like a bad way to go out, but it wasn't like a that that was it that's that's the the final point and and, and it's a like a nice end like like a nice arc there yeah usually you want something like a career arc to be like here's the director finding their form here's the director with their form here's the director at the peak of their popularity here's the director on like the part where they become a commodity and studios want or, them and they make bullshit and then here's the director in the late stages or, where they or sometimes lost like you're, you're really hoping for that last contemplative old old man kind of film where it's like i've reflected on my whole career yeah you want yeah one yeah song. you really want that 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 final note to go out on where they've really kind of reflected on the career again some maybe something autobiographical even <laughs> <laughs> his most yeah. autobiographical but, but we, yeah. uh, this thing that's just about yeah we don't we don't really get show. that i think here but there is still that sense of conclusion uh sure. and sentimentality there, there's and and yeah. i like that it has this fondness you know this kind of melancholic bittersweet you know sense going through it it's it's still a celebration of something that's coming to a close and that's and that's really nice mm -hmm. thematically for for altman but the the material itself i don't feel like is so strong as to really stand out it's i think it's more noteworthy for yeah. its finale if this was somewhere in the middle of altman's filmography i don't think it would be as noteworthy yeah i'd agree um i think it its placement is very natural in, in what it means and um yeah, i think it helps yeah it has to be at the end well shall we rank these our yeah. final ranking yeah we're at the end for um, all 35 I... altman films should I read the 30 that we have? Yes, yes. <laughs> Let's hear it. Okay. McCabe and Miss Miller, Nashville, Shortcuts, Three Women, The Long Goodbye, The Player, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, Images, Secret Honor, California Split, Popeye, Kansas City, Vincent, Theo, Cold Day in the Park, Brewster McCloud, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, or Sitting Bulls, History Lesson, A Wedding, Mash, Predator, Fool for Love, Health, Streamers, Thieves Like Us, A Perfect Couple, Quintet, The Gingerbread Man, O.C. and Stakes, Delinquents, Countdown, Beyond Therapy. Wow. That is a lot. A lot of films there. It's, yeah. What have we done? Yeah. <laughs> Third time. Oh, it's great. I, I'm glad we did it now. Uh, uh, bittersweet coming to an end, but uh, as you say, it's gone since July. Mm-hmm. Well, it's October. It's also, it, it, should, <laughs> it should be noted, um, this is also the four-year anniversary of, of our podcast. That's true. Yeah, not, uh, we've been going four years. Not uh, not just in a in a. This is about the time we started. This is literally the four year anniversary. <laughs> I went back and I checked. The day this episode is going to publish is oh, sweet. October twenty first, and in October twenty first, twenty eighteen, we launched our first Twin Geeks podcast episode. And uh, next week we'll be ranking all uh, one hundred and fifty episodes. <laughs> I, I I would prefer not to, but <laughs> I would also prefer not to. I, th I think we've talked a lot about where you should start. I think uh, in the nineties, yeah, is, is fair. and the Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's about where where I think we hit our our stride. Ninety episodes yeah. it took. Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it took at least two of those years to be okay at this. So uh, enjoy those uh, final two years. But then. but I'm really happy, especially with this year. I think we've we've had some really great accomplishments yeah. with the the filmographies and uh you know while the bogdanovich series i'll always be very fond of for i think the very important and 
you know, uh, individual work that we did in terms of like re-adding those other films to the, to the narrative. Uh, yeah. Th- this is definitely an ambitious endeavor that is another one I feel like because even like we we compared to other people who go through the Altman filmographies and it's like it gets hazy there in the eighties and then boom we come back in in the nineties with those films and then you know, kind of fade off again you know so we we wanted to cover everything and, and we've done it even all the really yeah. shitty stuff everything but like documentaries and things like tanner i, I mean tanner wouldn't fit our list so. I, I mean we did 35 films i think people can be happy with yeah. that come on i think we're good um well let's yeah i feel good about it too uh of our rankings this is probably the one that took the most work it was probably the hardest watches well yeah uh, for me I know there was that there's that period in the middle where literally it was like we're regretting this like this is the slog <laughs> this is actually awful <laughs> and because, it was yeah a moment where we knew we shouldn't have done it but uh, we've done it yep so that's good well let's let's close it out by slotting in these last five films okay. starting with um, Cookie's Fortune which is probably going to be the hardest one to decide <laughs> yeah I'd put it I'd start it below uh, the gingerbread man down there Below Gingerbread Man? Yeah. You, you think it's below Gingerbread Man? Uh, I'd put it you know, above Gingerbread Man, below Quintet. Yeah. Uh, because I really love the Montreal. I'm, yeah, yeah I, I, okay. You got that meme out of the way? Can, can, we, can we move it higher now, now that you said that? <laughs> I'm glad. No. Um, you think it's better than OC and Stiggs? I do. I think... I think do you think the racism is funnier in O.C. and Stiggs no. or funnier in Cookie's Fortune? No, I think the, the racism in O.C. and Stiggs is um, a- a- actively harmful, even as it tries to be okay. kind of like uh, commentative on that. And I think I, I, I don't see it as much of a problem in uh, Cookie's Fortune. I think it's actively aware of it. And again, I, th- I think okay. we're of a different mind Acceptable on that. Acceptable racism that will go up <laughs> the list. No, realistically, where do you where do you see it? Like I, even like okay. taking in the the fact I don't really care. About okay, it. so so just I mean I'm not going to fight it hard either. Sure, sure, because I know you're more indifferent. But uh, per- yeah. personally, on my personal list, I put it this actually rather high. I put it between California Split and Kansas City is where I put it. I was I enjoyed it. I don't think we could do that. No, I'm I'm aware. I'm aware. <laughs> okay. Um, looking at our list here. Can can I at least okay? What do you think about it in comparison to to Mash? I'm going to use Mash as the measuring stick still because I know your opinion of it has fluctuated so greatly over the course of this. I think I I don't know what would happen if I watched Mash again. I don't know what would happen if I watched this a third time. Um, yeah, I was interested. I saw it because your rating went down this time. You had yeah, a, it was a it was a six, but. That wouldn't have been very interesting if I stayed at a six. <laughs> Did you just change it to make this conversation more interesting? To, to create yeah, great contrast? But, uh, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that's like half of why I changed it. The other half was just like, I don't I don't really get it anymore. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, well, I think we agree about certain things, though. Like, the setting is better than MASH. Um, so, I mean, I, I, yeah. So, so the, the reason why is so high, because there's films in here, like A Perfect Couple, Themes Like Us, Streamers health they're all very boring movies they're all very dull you know they they have maybe like a couple of noteworthy things like and then there's something like fool for love which we also talked about as has a strength of setting but it's also like just a a 
a kind of failure of like weird surrealistic touches. I'd kind of couple it with that. They're both Coca-Cola commercials about the South. Do you, do you, how, how do you feel about it in comparison to the other contentious one here, which is Pret-a-Porter, in which we, again, the, the film I thought was successful in its comedy and you thought was bad and dumb. <laughs> I feel like it's in the same league as Pret-a-Porter and Fool for Love. I think it's okay. uh, kind of between those. You think Fool for Love kind of being the opposite end of me, kind of like just vibing with an Altman film of this setting and you being like, yeah, but it doesn't really do anything. Right, right. I, I at least feel like you've got something in the material and the characters with Cookie's Fortune, even if you might disagree with it. You know, yeah. there's there's something there. Even more if so. you don't have Shelley Duvall's eyes. And... We, we did miss a lot of Shelley Duvall in this later half. I know they had a falling out at some point, Sad. but I'd have been interested to see what she would have done throughout the rest of his career. Yeah, me too. I, I wish she had a different outcome that she had but very unfortunate um, very tragic also the internet like harping on her later career is like the most bullshit internet thing that's happened to a performer i know i'm very angry with the internet i know i know you hate the shining so much calvin i know you think it's the worst movie ever but not just that i mean like her treatment like her going on dr phil and like the internet like tearing her apart as a person was it makes me fucking furious (laughs) especially people who are addicted and they they try to go and recover and then like the internet keeps pulling them apart like Oh, go fuck off. Right. Um, I hate that. Uh, more than anything, that happens with actors. Like, people who go into addiction, then go and recover, and people just keep shitting on them. Like, uh, give people space. They're people. There was an they're, inter- they're not just actors. There was an interview with her not too long ago from, like, what, what she's yeah. up to now and doing. And she seems content and, you know, happy away from yeah. everything and out of the spotlight. So I'm very happy for that. A, a little bit of an oddity still, but I think she was always uh, kind of an odd deck and in a really interesting way that was really alluring to me at, at certain points. And and I don't think her oddness becoming, you know, self-harmful is, like, worthy of media circus. It just makes me so angry. So, yeah, yeah, I, um, I agree. But, yeah, Shining, bad movie. Uh <laughs> Uh, I, I would rather, yeah, mm. well, criticize that. Well, we're not ranking person. The Shining. Um, kind of need to decide. Where would you put it though? If we were I, like, below health. I I like this. No, no. I I I think you're in the right zone. I think around Predaporte okay. and Fool for Love. I think we're kind of in agreement in terms of the strengths slash weaknesses there. I I I like it more than than Predaporte. Uh, okay. Do Do you think it's better? I know you rated them the same. So, but I'm wondering where where you would come out just between those two films no i'd put it below but i think you like this more than you like predaporte okay so i i think you would i think i'd agree i mean i'm very flexible and again i have it as a four out of ten i i read the vitriolic reviews and i'm like no i don't really feel that right there's some people who really really hated this <laughs> really i'm probably like a five or a six but like for the show's sake i really need to be a, a four out of ten yeah you know all right <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of the ranking i feel like it's a you're like oh why would you uh just falsely rate movies to bring down things that i like on mm-hmm. on the ranking that's uh, shared between us well that's that's just your nature and uh yeah i, I guess i love you if, for it <laughs> if we don't record shows after next week you know why yeah <laughs> all right uh let's let's move on then to uh dr okay, t uh, and so the wait, wait 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 oh. okay so is it going uh, below MASH above Yeah, Pret-a-Porte? below MASH above okay. Pret-a-Porte. I, I feel confident about that. MASH is a classic. You should feel really good about where you got Cookie's Fortune. MASH is celebrated <laughs> classic of a film. I do, I do, but to be fair, we've we've really hammered MASH down the list here. <laughs> yeah, we have. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm, I'm good. I want to move on. Okay, uh, Dr. T and the women. 
it's kind of cool i i mean we we kept saying how it could almost be a great movie um it's, but i don't think it ever is yeah it's unfortunately not it's got the the premise and the idea it's it's a little again like i i really hate the mental health stuff i think that's so yeah so gross uh it's done early on but again the fact that it abandons it harsher on it yeah the, the, the fact <laughs> yeah. that it abandons that kind of uh, mitigates some of the trouble but uh if if it's just a little better executed it would it would be genuinely great i think because it's got it's got the right idea but it's not quite there well i really love titles with off, awful ampersands that like ruin the flow of the title like dr t and the women is like a really horribly written title i i appreciate that well, it's like health with the capital h it's just like, yeah it's so cumbersome or, or mash with the the asterisks in it like <laughs> yes altman's an annoying titler uh, i love him yep yep <laughs> Predaporte. I'm serious. Like know, I, the, no, no, I don't, I, he's got bad. I time. don't like stylization though. Like if you if you spell things with numbers, I'm kind of out on it. Or if you do like just like you know slang in your titles, I'm kind of done. Yeah. Ha- you know. What about hashtags? How do you feel about hashtags and titles? Yeah, I'm I'm cool with hashtag. Use bad punctuation is kind of like my my message here. I'm, I'm actually wondering since that. since we're at the end here, how many how many ampersands on there? McCabe, Mrs. Miller has an ampersand. Come back to the five and dine. Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean has an ampersand. Vincent Theo has an ampersand. Uh, Buffalo Bill doesn't, but you've written it here as it, so I'll count it. I'll count it anyway. <laughs> I've added one. <laughs> For yeah, is that does. it? OC and Stakes. Also, without an ampersand, but fine, we'll, we'll include it. Amp- <laughs> okay. Five, five. I just started adding them. <laughs> yep. Uh, and I, I get why. Let's see. And and Doctor T and the women does have an ampersand, so six. So that's, that puts us at five or six. Yeah. Six if we if we change all of the ands to ampersands. Three I think if if not or four. Okay. One. Four if two, not. I think. Yeah. Three yeah four four if we don't. Which is still okay. quite a lot of ampersands for one man. Yeah, uh, I mean no other director has more ampersands. I mean I would if I could make movies, <laughs> but I just write about them. But I have I've used plenty on the website. You just go search ampersands. I mm-hmm. I abuse them frequently. Um. I think a Brogan was like, why do you write that as an ampersand? That's sty- stylistically in- interesting, but you're wrong. And I was like, well, I, I just like him. I'm, I'm, um, I'm pretty sure it's McCabe's fault. I'm pretty sure it's that Roger Ebert reviews where, where it all kicked off from. <laughs> and that's why I, I know that we're a, a I remember a you company. reading it that, yeah. that first time we watched the film. You read the Roger Ebert review and fixated on the point about the ampersand that he makes. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I think I did. I think I got a lot of it from there. And then we had ampersands at my wedding. You know, they were uh, our, our marriage symbol that we that we took. Oh, is, right. uh, Made out of an ampersand. <laughs> so I'm, it's all obsessive. We plan to get, uh, instead of rings, we were supposed to get tattoos with ampersands. I, it hasn't quite happened yet. So you could tell I'm just obsessive. Is that them. also Robert Altman's fault? Or is that something like prearranged that you had with your wife? <laughs> I'd say it's because of McCabe and Miss No. <laughs> uh, both, maybe. I, I mean, I always liked them, and I was always a, a devotee of the ampersand. But I think it's only increased my uh, appreciation. I'm, so where should we put this? Uh, ampersand and all, Dr. T. It's Again, it's really uh, hard. This feels like a, a Popeye situation where it's like, yeah. I want to give the film so much more leeway because of what it... Than what it has? Yeah, than, than what it is in, in actuality. On On my actual listing here, I have it below mash like right below mash but okay. i also have mash rated lower than a number of other ones we put on here like okay. Co- cookies fortunes like way higher on my end than dr t but i know you're a bigger fan and i'm and because of that 
I, I might be willing to kind of concede Cookie's fortune there because you you were so nice to move yeah. it this high up, and I know we're we're kind of more favorable to Doctor T despite its mediocrity and its lack of success. We both think it could be a great movie. I don't think either of us think it is a great movie. I think that kind of puts it in like the territory of Buffalo Bill and the Indians, where we're like we see what you're doing, but it's not there. Yeah, Buff- um, Buffalo Bill has a bit better execution, though. I I do think between between Buffalo Bill and Mash, we have a wedding, which I do think in hindsight we have overrated considerably. <laughs> I think it's way too high. I think especially yeah, Cookie's Fortune. Below, I think yeah, it would have been better for you to have a wedding lower than it ended up being. Uh, yeah, it it, it would have made more sense for both of us. Again, it was just it was the first time we're like, this is Altman doing the Altman thing but not to complete success. And and I think we gave and, him a lot of leeway because of that. And then as he continued well, to think, do that. <laughs> and I think my argument was it's like MASH, but it's kind of more interesting. I'd rather watch it than MASH. So we were like, let's just do the MASH thing and put it out of it. Yeah. But it's in the wrong spot in our list either way. Uh, uh, a wedding should be below Predaporte probably if we were combining both our tastes, I think. I think so. I have them rated the same, but that's... Yeah, I don't know if I would rate uh, a, a wedding the same if I watched it again. Again, I, th- I gave it a lot of leeway watching it. I was <laughs> like, this is interesting. It has promise, but I don't entirely sit with it. I still think Lillian Gish dying is is a funny bit that the film has. It is a good bit. That's better than things in MASH. Um, so I'm I'm okay. Um, but are there... Yeah, what about the, the best bit? Like, what about the surrealism of Dr. T? It's a strong ending. It's a strong ending for sure. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it counteracts the cardboard cutout women characters. No. I, I uh, but, but again, but great actresses. It's it's a thematically great film, but materially it's insufficient. Mm-hmm. I'm I I again like if you wanted to put it above Cookie's Fortune, I would allow that. It just sounds so messy to do that. I mean, again, if if you think so, you have it rated higher than Cookie's Fortune, so you know. I mean, yeah. Do you want it? You want it below Mash then? Yeah, I would still put it below Mash because I think okay. Mash is still more successful. You know. Then it has to be below I'm, Mash. I'm sure. more interested in the film Doctor T wants to be than I am the film Mash is, but that doesn't make it a better movie. I think I'd put it around like the Fool for Love, like lower. You oh, put but, it lower, but then. Yeah, I think you're higher on Cookie's Fortune than you I definitely are am. Tea. I definitely am. I could put it above Predaporte though, if you felt like like between Cookie's Fortune and Predaporte. If I put it below that, uh, then it then it kind of bumps this up for you. It's like I've given you a, a prize of Predaporte. And... You're being very generous. I came out the the I day know. here offering you a higher entry, and you're and you're negotiating it down. <laughs> you're arguing. Yeah, on I'm fine my with behalf. that because, yeah, we both like the idea. Let's do. Cookies Fortune, Predaporte, and then Doctor Doctor T. And because that raises Cookies Fortune for you, that makes that yeah. a better outcome. Okay. And then we both feel good. Doctor T and the women. And well, thank Amber you for Sir. for advocating yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like uh, deciding for you things that are against my interests. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, f- <laughs> but but I think it's more fair that way. Because we don't want another a wedding, and we we're never going to come back to this list. So. No, no, never, and we're not going to change it either. We're not adjusting this. It, for, oh, that's what for I mean. Yeah. yeah, like we we agree that a wedding is too high, but we're stuck with it. I know. We're I know not we doing what we did when we put McCabe in. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I know we have changed this this list once, but we're not <laughs> we're not doing it for real. 
Yeah. All, all right. Gosford Park. Time to be controversial. I'd put it below. Um, <laughs> below a <laughs> quintet, or maybe. Below quintet. Oh, <laughs> come on, fuck off. <laughs> so Gosford Park. Uh, either of us are really in on uh, uh, the British uh, royalty, the the, the rich the, British families. The bourgeoisie, as I put it earlier, I care mm. not for the problems of the the bourgeoisie. Uh, but I I do like the movie. It should be said. Um, you know, I I know it's a little tough to to get engaged with uh, throughout, but I I do think there's a lot there once you do really give it uh, the, that entire attention that it really demands. I think um, just just by virtue of the the kind of uniformity of the characters, as well as just the I, I guess the, the the distance we have in, in relationship to that the heavy accents. Maybe it's not a problem as much for you know British people. I, I yeah. guess it wasn't a problem at the time either, because it was a huge hit over here and it got all the like the Oscar buzz. So maybe we're just sticklers about it. Uh, I mean if it if it doesn't sound like an accent, then you probably think that's naturalistic. That's just how people sound around me. I mean uh, that's for- what that's what Altman always went for, right? Naturalistic, like yeah. you, you know, he wants naturalistic performances. For me, it's like what it's like listening to the stacks with forty people on the on the <laughs> podcast. So, I mean, I just need Jack and Stephen. I don't need the other people. You know, Gosford uh, Park would be better if Jack and Stephen were in it. <laughs> Maybe if they did the commentary live enactment of Gosford Park, it would be. We need. We need a. I, I think who who would be the the the, the upstairs. Of the, of the two, though. We need an upstairs and a downstairs from this duo, I think. I think that Steven would be a good downstairs just, like, as a fighter for, like, the everyman, and I think... Yeah, a, I, I think so, but I think yeah. I think also he wouldn't let himself get subjugated like that to begin with. I think he'd... <laughs> I think he'd fight for that privileged position. Yeah, you know, I think so. To, to start off. Yeah, and... and I don't and, know. I don't know. I, I think Jack can roll with the punches, so I think okay. he'd... he'd, he'd He'd fare well in the in, in the downstairs situation. When you say roll with the punches, do you mean your family, or do you mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean specifically, he would be my uh, servant for me there. Rolling in my family. with the punches, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't want to decide, but uh, either of them, I think, would uh, well... yeah, do a better reading of Gosford Park. <laughs> um, I mean, but I, I do think the film is good, but I think obviously we're we're kind of of the same mind here about it, and that we're very against the the kind of accepted idea you know perception of the film it's it's definitely regarded as of these five that we're ranking today probably the best and uh i I don't think we think so (laughs) no i i don't think so i don't think it yeah just this later phase of altman um it's not what people think uh i mean i think we have different outcomes than i think people do on all of these in in general uh these last five Um, Uh, maybe not prairie home uh, coming up in later, pra- but... yeah. Prairie Home, I think we 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 talked about kind of uh, we we feel correct about, and yeah. maybe Doctor T as well. Where we're like yeah. interesting, but not successful. <laughs> we might um, see more in Doctor T than I think the consensus has I in de- it. I, I definitely think we do, but I'm I'm fine with that. <laughs> okay, uh, so Gosford, would you would you start around a quintet? Would that no, work no. <laughs> no, no, no. I think higher. we should put it down. Um, no. Between oh. Quintet and the Gingerbread I'm not, Man. <laughs> I'm not, not begrudging this Gingerbread Man. God, that's... Would you rather hang out with the Gingerbread Man or, or a like, rich British family? I'm, the, I'm, I'm definitely hanging out. I mean, I mean there, there are actual characters in, in Gosford Park 
Gingerbread Man is just very stale and rote, you know, formulaic thriller that's, again, like, I can't even remember anything from it. It's already gone from my mind, except that Robert Duvall is, is dressed as, like, a dirty homeless man or something. Would you rather go to the Montreal Expo or uh, have an insufferable dinner? I'm I'm going to that murder mystery party that okay. takes takes a whole day to murder mystery. That seems inconvenient, but okay. Um, Look, I th- I think we should consider this in the same vein that we consider the other highly contentious ranking of this whole series, which is Mash. I I think we're kind of of a piece similarly with these with these two films, and that we're very much against the the norm of it, but um, still kind of have to respect what it means here for yeah. filmography. Well, it's certainly better than Cookie's Fortune. It's a uh... yeah. I mean, uh, um, I'm just I, sniping I, now. <laughs> I, I, know, I know, I know, and I know you're doing it intentionally, but that's okay. This is uh, <laughs> is is it better than Cookie's Fortune? I don't know where you're at on that. I Do mean, think I, it's better. I like it better than Cookie's Fortune. Okay. I mean, I like Cookie's Fortune better. I'm sorry. Okay, uh, yeah, that's but a... but I know you definitely don't as much and. uh Gossamer Park is, is generally considered better. Like, I don't like Cookie's Fortune a ton more. And I do think there is an even greater capacity for improvement for Gossamer Park on a future rewatch. Again, this is only the second time I've seen it. My opinion increased drastically. The first time I watched it, I was utterly bored. I didn't give a shit at all. This time, I was not bored. I was invested. <laughs> but I had to maintain that investment myself. I had to keep like mm. putting in that, that attention because I, it, I felt naturally just kind of like you know kind of pushed away from from the material and how it all kind of seemed to be the same ideas of characters being repeated across you know all sorts of iterations so your experience with the film this time i think is very similar to the experience i had the first time Mm -hmm. um and i don't think that's necessarily a universal feeling again obviously it was very successful when it came out (laughs) as the kids say the posters giving agatha christie i think is what the uh, tiktokers say yeah is that uh, appropriate if, if i say that uh i, I think it's fine okay. I, I i i think we were just trying to stay connected with the younger generation I think it's okay. <laughs> hello fellow kids uh agatha christie uh <laughs> yep but yeah if if uh there was a a tiktok promotion of gosford park that is yeah <laughs> that's how that would go yeah um would it be better as a tiktok video i, I think we could put <laughs> no. it above mash above mash is fine we both like it i think we both respect it more than mash maybe uh you know what else i, I respect it more than um a wedding i still think we've rated that <laughs> too too high okay. it's it's my it's my one regret for this aside from maybe like having watched a couple of these there, there's it, there's some regrettable watches at the bottom but rating a wedding so high was just a little naive i think yeah for both of us we were if we saw a wedding at the tail end, don't you think it would be lower than it was? Well, that's the thing is that it came at the tail end of the seventies run, right. and <laughs> and it still has all of those kind of Altman, you know, flashes of genius in there, but it just doesn't come together. But so, what if we go back the, to it and we're like, it is close to Nashville? Like a what if like his spirit is still in Nashville? Maybe when he's making but, a wedding. Maybe it's I, spiritually good. I think it's just as uh, spiritually good as um, you know, in the same way as later big big ones he had, like. Okay. Uh, Pride of Porte and stuff. Like I think I think it's comparable in 
terms of like, oh, you're doing the Altman thing. You got the big ensemble. You're considering this, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of satirically considering this big setting and institutional thing. And it's it kind of works, but it kind of doesn't, you know. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, and and as my issue is that ultimately, like when I when I walked away, when we walked away from a wedding, we were like, "There's something here," um, but it's not quite there. But I I see the the parts, and now I'm like, "Yeah." And I also say that about five other films that he did. Well, I feel the same way about Gosford Park. So I'm fine slotting them together, going Gosford Park and then a wedding mash. I think that's a at least a good three. Where I kind of feel like that's a defining bar between low and high elements. yeah yeah i i'm i'm over over the positive bar for all three of those uh M mash does feel like in, in hindsight maybe it would appre appreciate even more from a rewatch like <laughs> maybe like again another time where i would come back to it like i didn't like it a lot the first time i felt the same about it the second time but now with all of this altman context all of the films here going back and seeing maybe that there's even more like you know, uh, to appreciate there mm -hmm. for, for a first time, but maybe not. Maybe I will just feel exactly the same for a third time and still say, yep, there's like Altman pieces here. And then it kind of loses itself in the end. And also I'm, I'm not on board with the attempts at the misogynistic commentary. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I, I fully anticipate that would be my reaction. Well, and you told me earlier that downtown Abbey is based on Gosford. <laughs> yes. Park. Yeah. And the, and MASH also uh, became a better television series than the movie. So if both of these are paired That's that true. way. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, we could see that they have better media behind them that came after it, them by someone you else. You know, it's kind of interesting uh, echoes, you know, in terms of the beginning of his filmography. MASH is the film that made him and Gosford Park is the kind of final masterpiece, film that you know, him. people say. Yeah. <laughs> broke him. <laughs> Never I, made well, you a, know, a significant film again. <laughs> what 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 I think is really nice about this end is uh, we'll say as well is that the, it's not a drop off in Altman's career. You know, there's so many uh, filmmakers who have this like end of career like sag. You know, where it's just you know kind of uh, bad films. That, that's like Quentin Tarantino's cop out excuse for not mm -hmm. making any more films is that he doesn't want to become that way as so many other great filmmakers have. But Altman didn't. Altman had a had a resurgence in the '90s, and then he continued to make interesting noteworthy and sometimes great films for for the next uh 10 years 10 do you agree years. with that logic do you feel like you should just do a sergio leone and just have like eight movies and then get out six or seven movies and just make them all you know notable as as a as a person who is currently conducting a podcast that goes through director <laughs> filmographies you are and, in favor and just slog through 35 <laughs> over the course of what like three months yes uh, yeah, I, I guess I would have to take that position, okay. but and, and, and in a principled stance, I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, I, I, uh, the the wider uh, breadth of a filmography you have, the greater variance and interest you can find, and the more opportunities for for rediscovery. You know, a, a filmmaker who only has ten films, all of which are like highly publicized about and um, you know circulated, uh, you know, it, it makes for a very kind of dull discussion after a while yeah like and, uh, what, what left is there to say about leone or or tarantino or um so much actually yeah is it is there maybe we've said a lot about both of them i think we've done a whole tarantino ranking and gone did, through all we? the uh man with no name trilogy uh, did we do all three of those films? yeah we did uh pretty close together when we were still doing like a western a month i guess so yeah yeah well 
Um, yeah, I feel good about this. Uh, so we're going to go, uh, um, what was it called? Uh, Buffalo Bill and the Indians were sitting both history lesson, Gosford Park, a wedding mash. That, those are good. Oh, is it, is it below, uh, Buffalo Bill? I, uh, yeah, are you, yeah, I guess. I okay. mean, you're, you're more favorable to Buffalo Bill because of that. Because it's a Western. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's, like yeah, genre preferences. I, I, I guess I feel similarly about them. I think there's probably more potential ultimately in in gosford park that i've yet to discover um buffalo bill could have been a much better film but it's ultimately just the one thing so you know <laughs> well that's so, fine so maybe, by me yeah maybe on a rewatch i will i would rate gosford park even higher i think it might be higher on my own personal ranking it is it definitely is but mm-hmm. uh yeah I'll, I'll concede it here that's that's fine because i know you're you're not on board entirely with gosford park which is okay yeah, so okay. that's fine by me. Let's move on to the company. Our, our penultimate entry, The Company, a, a film which I am pretty indifferent to. And I, I like, but like in a really basic, like kind of shallow way where I'm like, the dancing's cool. I'm glad Altman made a ballet movie. That does seem like it has something to do with this process. This that's is neat. this is where the, the ranking has gotten hard because we've kind of adjusted around ones you or I feel more favorable to or not. So like my my ranking looks looks right. nothing like this. And then it's kind of yeah. a mess. Cuz like personally I have it below Okay. Dr. T and the women. Cuz again, I think I think that was very interesting. I have it above <laughs> Brewster McLeod. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. That really fucks up the list. <laughs> okay. Right, right. Yeah, we're just What's in the middle here? <laughs> um, ugh. That's, between that is one, two, three, four, five, six movies. So six <laughs> okay. other movies between those poles. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to do with it. It's 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 definitely a a pickle. All right. Um. Below Gosford, I think. Um. Below Gosford, I, I would say even below Mash. Okay. Personally. Uh, the the problem there is Cookie's Wedding or. Cookie's uh, I think because I gave you that one, obviously you should probably give me the ballet one because that's. Although that's a very manipulative. Yeah, that deal. does seem. I mean, but that's that's kind of what we've done, you know, this whole time. That's <laughs> yeah. the whole nature of the list. Um, I, I I think they have to go together. I think that's okay. only like poetic that that Cookie's Fortune and the company have to go together as our most like differented films on, and and also next to Pride of Porte for that matter. You know, all all three films we have the widest margin of difference. Yeah, I think. and Quintet, um, <laughs> which I would have rated. So much wh- whether. Whether the company is better than Cookie's Fortune or below it, I, I guess is what we need to decide. Um, n- Number-wise, it's more in the company's favor. I gave it a, a down-the-middle five, okay. and you gave Cookie's Fortune a four. But but that's also why I, I rated know. Cookie's Fortune a four. Exactly. Because I exactly. wanted you, it you to be it. difficult here. I, I mean, like, I could have given the company a three, I guess, just to, to spite you, and I could have been in a better position here. And, I mean, if I wanted to be honest, I could have, which I don't want to be, I could have given Cor- Cookie's Fortune a five, and I don't want to be honest. Um, I think we should put it, yeah, either above or below that. That's fine. Uh, do we do we just flip a coin? Yeah, do you have a coin? Is that how we decide? I, I have this gummy wrapper okay. thing. Uh, will that work? Is there a heads or a... Uh, there's there's a there's a gummy side where you can see the gummy, and there's okay. a like opaque packaging side. I think that's official. Do you want to flip it somehow? Okay, Are you, how do sure. you, okay, can you flip it? I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip it okay. like you do. Wait wait a who, coin wait, who calls heads? 
Uh, you do it since I'm okay, flipping. Heads. Uh, the, the 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 gummy side is the head. So okay. It's got a bear on it, so, so you can see too. The bear too. means that. Um, what are we discussing? <laughs> the company goes above <laughs> Where... Cookie's Fortune if it's a heads. Okay. 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 All right, and it's tails. More it like is. the bear's fortune, the gummy bear's fortune, <laughs> you could say. Um, there we go. Okay, so uh, that means the company goes below Cookie's Fortune. That's fine. And then uh, our our final movie. We we've made it. It's very bittersweet. Yep, a prairie home companion. But the list is getting very messy. So I'm glad it's just it 35. Is. I think we're we're of the same mind on this okay. one though. We've got a similar feeling towards it. Um, so let's see. We're 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 in the the positive range, but not like the enthusiastic range. Where where do you have it on your ranking? I have it at nineteenth. Where where is it between? I guess I should ask. <laughs> Movies that are um, <laughs> divisive on our list: Thieves Like Us and The Wedding. Thieves like us, which doesn't give you anything. Let's say that is that is lower than I have it. I think I have above (laughs) it Brewster McCloud and Buffalo Bill and the Indians. I have below Gosford Park and Mash. If that those might help. Let's see on on my list, it is below Gosford Park, but above Buffalo Bill, (laughs) which is again just just kind of like the opposite. But it's also below Brewster. Um, Okay, I have it below Brewster. Maybe we start there. But you also have it. You have it below a wedding, but I have it above a wedding. Right, that's fine though. I think I think around Brewster's where we probably want to start because we're. What but, what number do you have it at? Do you know? Do you? Uh, it's at seventeen. Okay, I have it. I mean, we're not that different then. I have it at. Uh, no. Nineteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there's just a couple of films that I think you you have higher, like Quintet. <laughs> I didn't give Quintet a positive rating. I, I think you're. I, I know, but you keep talking my... about it like you do. Quintet is like. You keep acting like it's a top five Altman. I mean, it's not a bottom five. I have it in 25 out of 35. It's, it's you know. R- really? You have 10 films below it? <laughs> you're like astonished what? that I have Quintet so high. I have it at 33. You thought it's it was like a bit. really fucking low. <laughs> yeah, 25. Um, right by Dr. T. Um, that's funny. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so so you had it Prairie Home below Buffalo Bill, though, right? No. I, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, okay. Okay. Do, do you still think that? Do you still think Buffalo Bill is better than Prairie Home? Yeah. Okay. Do you? Um, I don't. But it's it's really like almost an arbitrary difference here yeah. on this list. Like I could I could put it below that. So I will. Let's start there. Let's go below Buffalo Bill. Okay. So is it is it better than Gosford Park though? Yeah. They're like next to each other on my list. Um, I think so. Do we do we do we concede for the sake of like the the prestige and the significance? Because everyone else thinks Gosford Park is. Why great, would we right? do that? We've never done that before. Um, That's that is true. And it's more uh, upsetting if we put like Prairie Home Companion above Gosford Park. I you think. know, you know what? I got Cookie's Fortune above the company yeah. on a fifty-fifty coin flip there, <laughs> so I think I'm happy. Like I'll, I'll I'll concede that. So a Prairie Home Companion above Gosford Park is what we're saying. It's gotten messy, but I think that's true. 
Yeah, I, I I don't think this is a a great list of the rankings here from my list, own perspective. But, uh, but well, I, I, it's definitely our list. I'll say yeah. that. Uh, I mean, if you had to combine ours in some like arbitrary way without doing exact math on what it would be, and you just did like feelings and uh, <laughs> situations, you might come up with this list. I could see it. I I mean I I'd say we did. That's exactly what we did, and it's it, it was a little odd getting to this point, but we did it, and that's all of the Robert Altman films. Do you want to run down, or should I run down the the list one more time? Um, why don't why don't we go back and forth? Okay. You want to begin here? Sure. Sure. I'll begin with number one: McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Two: Nashville. Three: Shortcuts. Four: Three Women. Five. The Long Goodbye. Six, The Player. Seven, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. At eight, we have Images. Nine, Secret Honor. Ten, California Split. Eleven, Popeye. Twelve, Kansas City. Thirteen, Vincent and Theo. Fourteen, Cold Day in the Park. Okay, okay. Fifteen, (laughs) Brewster McCloud. Sixteen, Buffalo Bill and the Indians were sitting bulls history lesson. I lost track. 17. <laughs> 17. Damn it. 17. A Prairie Home Companion. 18. Gosford Park. 19. A Wedding. 20. MASH. <laughs> Top 20. Good job, MASH. Good job, MASH. Congrats. 21. Cookie's Fortune. 22. The Company. I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm on the odds, but I'm still losing track. <laughs> 23. pret porte 24. Dr. T and the Women. 25. Fool for Love. 26, Health. 27, Streamers. 28, Thieves Like Us. 29, A Perfect Couple. 30, Quintet. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm glad you I'm glad you got Quintet, not me. <laughs> 31, The Gingerbread Man. 32, O.C. and Stakes. 33, The Delinquents. 34, Countdown. And 35, Beyond Therapy. I'm glad we counted them right. I, said, I was worried at the end we'd be like, Oh shit, we got the numbering wrong. But I think we because uh, I kept it. fucking it up. I kept I kept losing track. <laughs> it is hard to switch. And it really can count down. It's just a little. Even though it's like it's literally just the odd numbers, David. You just have to list the odd numbers, and you're losing track. <laughs> <laughs> we did good though. I think it. I think it was a good series of shows, a long running series of shows. We should do shorter series that people could listen to. <laughs> Sure, sure. Give us feedback. Do you prefer the the long series or the short? I'm realizing that like people, nobody could go through with us and watch all these movies because it was like such a feat that I I wouldn't ask anyone to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm it, I was excited to tackle another long series. I liked I like doing this big breath, and it certainly you get a a great insight going through all of these. Um, but there's a reason so many of them are not talked about. Yeah, I'm glad we talked about them. I would not want to talk about them again necessarily. <laughs> yeah, there are you know maybe ten that I want to talk about ever again. I think I'm think I'm good. I think I, I coming out like the the positive ones for me is like from I don't know like like twenty three up. There's like more than twenty films I would talk about from this thirty five film okay. like because as far down as Doctor T is like that's that's my cutoff point here. Like Doctor T was an interesting movie I want to tell people about. Wasn't a very successful one, but I, I liked it. My cutoffs quintet, but that's different. I know. Okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably Mash. Actually, I, I don't really want to think about anything below Mash anymore. 
it's it's you know it's it's interesting that it ended up being kind of like the the ruler by which we measured other things even though we thought it quite mediocre it ended up being the most important altman film because it determined the quality of every other altman film in a way i didn't expect uh, so thanks mm-hmm. to mash for that i'm i'm really glad we did this uh it, it's just such a huge undertaking that uh, i feel like i wouldn't necessarily have done on my own <laughs> yeah. i certainly couldn't have i wouldn't have done it to, myself, an, to an extent yeah. i mean i always wanted to like as yeah. far as like other directors and important directors to me you know altman has always been towards the top so yeah. doing this together felt very very important very significant well and, especially uh, because four years in our podcast began with uh, us watching mccabe miss miller so uh here we yeah. are four years later after uh watching that together for the first time putting it at the top of a list um right uh showing as uh, incorporation through ampersands that we uh that we have a continued <laughs> friendship it's a and it's a nice book art book bookend for the podcast yeah. too because uh as, as we've uh, said before we're we're going to go on an extended hiatus after this we've got some other projects in the works that we're going to work on for for the site we do have an episode coming next week as our kind of annual halloween special but uh after that it's uh, we, we do not have a plan set in place yet we'll come back sometime in the future with another project of sorts um and and maybe do some interspersed stuff on here yeah. between them but in the meantime we can look forward to other projects from the website, from the extended podcast networks that we have going on here. Um, and just keep in touch with the website itself to see all of the different developments we have going on. We have um, crossover universes with uh, thinking of spoiling things as you and Steven might have something in the, in the plans and uh, Vaughn and I might also break off and do a show, but uh, we'll, we could announce that maybe next week or whenever you're ready. Yeah, I've got. I I have some plans in the works uh, with Stephen. It's true, um, and I will announce it soonish here. Once okay. once we have a bit more of the pieces in place, is almost there. It's been a very exciting development. Um, so keep an eye and ear out for that. As uh, but also just stay tuned with our other existing podcasts at the moment. Spoiling things, as you mentioned, um, they're coming up on their one year anniversary. So that's oh, yeah. going to be a fun grab bag of uh questions that they're going to answer and kind of reflect on the show itself so that is very exciting um we we of course have the return of the the modern cast um you guys are doing slingshot cops next right yeah that's interesting i haven't seen anything going forward i um now i'm caught up uh everything's new modern to me so i'm ready oh, it, it, including including like the last year releases yeah i haven't I, seen anything you, you, i've intentionally oh. not watched anything from the last year uh, smart, because yeah, of course, the everyone else talking about Magic Spot a lot. Yeah, this, everyone this else year. on so our you, podcast you, has seen everything. So why should I? Right. Well, that's that's nice that you kept yourself <laughs> virginal. Yes, for it. I'm trying to stay very virginal about uh, the the modern universe. So. Mm-hmm. Don't let the so that, that'll be interesting to get your get first you. first time. <laughs> for, Don't let first them time get your virginity. Is yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um. As far as what else is uh, on the show, I know there's various other. I don't want to say which ones because you know some are just kind of hanging around for a moment, waiting for schedules to come back. The stacks, of course, though they're they're popping off like crazy. Yeah, there's how many, uh, how much is, a lot of shows. Yeah, they're they're really going at it and all sorts of interesting stuff uh, going on. So tune into the stacks and uh, throw them some money if you want some more stuff from them. Yeah, they're on the Patreon. Good stuff. You could search the Patreon yeah. for stacks. They're one of the things called stacks on patreon 
Stacks on film, <laughs> yeah. I think is what you got to look up. Oh, that's the true. Stacks on film, maybe. I don't know if they have as much of a dedication to the the that we have at the Twin Geeks. I'm very, yeah, fixated on the the. If I could only put an ampersand in the title, I would. But yeah, the the, the Twin work. and Geeks. Yeah. <laughs> and the Twin Geeks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We should have thought about that when we were making the name. We probably we just we, let we, a friend pu- name it. Pu- minimal. Yeah. <laughs> Am I, am I, oh yeah, and of course the Daydream cast who are on a very consistent uh, output uh, and really deep diving stuff that yeah. they're, they're doing. Length, lengthy episodes, which I've always enjoyed from Brogan and Murph. Uh, some good guest specials lately, and uh, they're, they're always looking at interesting games. They have I think a specific brand. Vaughn, isn't Vaughn on the next one? I, I believe think you can. So. Vaughn from, I'm thinking of spoiling things, is going to be on the next episode, I do believe. Um, until then, so tune in for all that. Stay fresh. <laughs> Thanks for talking sexy it's all right on with the me. telephone. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's fine by me. What are our other outros on the website? I'm thinking I'm of ending off. this uh, podcast. Give, give, give the stacks a sign off. <laughs> uh, uh, keep it stacking. Keep keep the all right. Making them stacks. I'm I'm glad we ended this on this note as opposed to something kind of more profound and, and sentimental tying together the anniversary of our of our show and the conclusion of this long running series. I'm glad we decided to go out on this note instead. This is this is far more fitting. Conversations and I post them online for entertainment. It's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world. Things have changed, everybody's entertaining. Who's being entertained? Thank you for listening.